Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Well, this season is nothing if it's not a roller coaster, am I right? Just when you think they've got it, maybe the Jazz don't have it. They went to the last four games needing to win three of the four. They had a mulligan. They could lose one game after the Suns fell to the Lakers. And they used that on Monday night. Jazz lose to the Warriors. And what a crazy game. Really, even in the first half, Jazz really let it get away in the third quarter. And then with about eight minutes to go in the game, down by 18, Jordan Clarkson catches fire. And the Jazz retake the lead and have the ball with 45 seconds left in the game. Clarkson took a three. He missed it. The Warriors came down. Curry missed a three, but the Warriors got the offensive rebound. And guess who they got the ball back to? And guess who made a three? And that did it for the Jazz. Curry seals the deal. There were a couple more chances there, and Clarkson drove and didn't get a bucket going to the hoop. Maybe there was a foul. He didn't think so. Thought he got fouled on the previous three. And they did get the ball back, and he had one more three, and he missed that. And that was the end of the game. So Clarkson finishes with 41 points. He was 0 for 8 at the three-point line, and he finished 5 of 16 from the three-point line. Hit four in a row at one point. It was an incredible comeback. He had a couple of three-point plays driving to the hoop. It was really a remarkable comeback by the Jazz. Now, you can argue they shouldn't have been in that situation. They shouldn't have fallen that far behind. They shouldn't have given up so many points off live ball turnovers. They shouldn't have given up so many points off missed threes and long rebounds, and the Warriors were able to run off those. They shouldn't have given up so many points off offensive rebounds. You know, there were... So there were a bunch of plays you could look at and say, this one, that one, this one, that one. And Poole hit a three-pointer, banked it in from half court, kind of in the corner, one of the last places you'd bank the ball from. It's kind of where the half court line meets the sideline on the left side. And that ended up in a three-point win, being three really big points. So, of course, all of this will be very different if Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley are back. They're not back yet. They didn't play in this game. But if they're back for the playoffs, presumably they will be. If they won't be, you wouldn't think the playoffs go on all that long anyway. But we expect they will be back. Um, that, was, <clears throat> that was an absolutely crazy game to watch. So the Jazz had the mulligan to use. They use it. They lose to the Warriors, who show why they can be dangerous in any one game. Now, can the Warriors do that four times in a seven-game series? Can the Warriors do that on the road? I think the one thing we saw... Young players play better at home. And the Warriors now, who have some young players, have won both their home games, as you'll hear coming up in the best of the postgame show. Uh, I think it was Rudy who brought it up. He said, yeah, we let, let their role players get comfortable and get going. And, of course, role players are going to be more comfortable at home. The home team has now won all three games between the Jazz and the Warriors, and they played two of the three in Oakland. So the Warriors win two of the three games. So there you go. All right. <clears throat> now we'll see if the Suns can beat the Warriors because the Suns are playing the Warriors tonight after the Jazz softened them up. And, of course, the Jazz will play the Blazers on Wednesday, and then the Suns will play the Blazers on Thursday after the Jazz have softened them up. The Suns get to catch the Warriors and the Blazers, Blazers on the back end of a back-to-back. So we'll see if that works to their advantage, or maybe they'll drop a game, or maybe the Jazz will win the last three, and it won't matter. There's still many options, but the mulligan the Jazz had when we did the show yesterday, they no longer have. So magic number still sits at three for the Jazz. they got three games left. If they win it, they don't need any help. 
But if the Suns want to drop a game or two, I don't suppose anybody would mind. I don't know if you saw it last night, but <clears throat> the Spurs absolutely crushed Milwaukee. And Anta Tekempo played. And so did Middleton. But uh, Patty Mills came off the bench and went berserk. And so did Rudy Gay. So the Spurs win. And the Spurs play the Suns twice at the end of the year. So we'll see if the Spurs can take a game off Phoenix. Still a lot of different things that can happen down the stretch. And we now only have six days left in the season, in the, in the regular season before it really heats up. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. Stay with us, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, the Zone, and the Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, the Zone. Time to hear from our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland. He joined us late in the show yesterday, so obviously he doesn't know about the Monday night results, but with a week to go in the season, his big-picture look at teams, their health, how that impacts their rhythm getting ready for the playoffs, and who ought to be wanting to play each other and avoid each other, all interesting stuff. Here's Steve Cleveland with PK and I on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. DJ PK in the morning is brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. Time to welcome in Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. Steve, good morning. Good morning, guys. Steve, right away, Jazz Nation, they hate to do this. Makes them feel dirty. Makes them throw up in their mouth a little bit. But they did it. They rooted for your Lakers to beat the Suns, and your Lakers came through. And now the Jazz have a two-game lead. I assume you are now 100% confident that the Jazz will be the one seed in the playoffs, thanks to the purple and gold. Hey, listen, man, I celebrate the Jazz from my heart as well, and I'm uh, amazing 50 games, and obviously I don't know if Donovan Mitchell's been out seven, eight games or so, but they've just never missed a step. So congratulations to them. I can't see them not being the number one seed, and um, they just had a terrific year. So when you were coaching and it came time for a conference tournament, how much did you worry about, oh, we got to play this team or that team, as opposed to just worrying about yourself? Because we talk to Jazz fans every day, and they're you know concerned about, oh, we don't want the Lakers in our bracket. We don't want the Clippers in our bracket. Well, you got to play somebody at some point anyway. So what's the level of concern there? You know, I don't, I don't think that you sit there and, and, and really give a lot of thought to it because you're just trying to get your team ready to play the best basketball they can play, no matter who you play. Um, but yeah, I, I think it would be, it wouldn't be honest to say, Hey, you know, if, uh, back in the day, we, you know, we had a chance to play, uh, Wyoming instead of, you know, Utah or San Diego state or whatever. I mean, you do think about those things. You think about matchups, but you don't spend a lot of time on it until you find out who your opponent is. And I think that with Utah, uh, they played everybody, you know, two or three times and they have a pretty good sense in the field of who they are. I think they're more, a lot more interested in making sure they're healthy. And I think the playoffs are also times where you, you tweak some things. Not that you're going to change your offense or do things, but it, it is a good time to put in new out-of-bounds plays, new quick hitters, new specials, things that they have not even used 
that's what you do to prepare and get your guys ready. And, uh, and, and down the road, I mean, I, I, you go from one round to the next, you're, you're making changes, you're, you're tweaking little things that might give you an advantage, a bucket after, uh, uh, you know, a free, or, you know, after a foul situation, sideline out of bounds play or whatever it might be. Uh, you, you, those are the things as a coaching staff, you're always thinking about what we can do to, to, to be a little more effective. The Jazz are so unselfish and move the ball better than anybody in the league that they've got a, they've got a group of guys that have such high IQs on the floor offensively that they seldom take bad shots. And uh, unless it's the shot clock runs down and that no one was open and they have to take a leg one. And I think that's one of the really um, special things about this team is, is the chemistry and uh, the unselfishness, the movement of the ball, one more pass, another pass. And it's, it's what's uh, it really, really uh, made this a special year because of what those things. And not to say that they're not defending because they're doing that as well, but I, I've really been impressed with what's happened since Mitchell has been out. I mean, everybody has stepped up. And uh, no more than Bogdanovich, who the last three or four games has just been unbelievably uh, shooting the ball in a way that I've never seen him shoot it for. And so I think I think everything's rolling. It'll be you know probably be a little bit of an adjustment when Donovan Mitchell comes back. It won't take long, and they'll just plug him in. He's another guy, and obviously a guy that averages 26 points per game. But this team has been really resilient with Mitchell being out. So I think that when he comes back, when Conley comes back, everything pretty, everyone kind of slides back into their roles, and I don't have a lot of worries about that. I think the one thing, and, and Joe and Mike have both talked about this, when they're on the floor together, Conley may go to the corner and be decoy guy a little more and let Joe initiate some pick and rolls, keeping him involved. Uh, so I, I think some of that could happen. But I look at the Lakers, and I it's got to be risky as a coach to change guys' roles at this point in the season, but I'm wondering if what they're seeing, you know, does Caruso just have to have a bigger role? And how are they going to sort out which big guys play when and which big guys do they want to play together? It doesn't look that clear to me. And maybe it's because I watch more of the Jazz than I watch of the Lakers, so it may just be my perspective. But it seems to me like there's some tempting stuff for the Lakers to do, and yet it may be too late. It may not be a good idea. What do you think? I, I think, and, and part of me says it's too late. That you get, but that, that being said, then there's a fan in me that says that they've played such ugly basketball for a while here, and uh, even even with uh, getting AD back, and it, it, everything's just been so static. And uh, I, I think that they they do certainly, and, and I think they have an idea what the combinations are going to be. I mean, getting LeBron on the floor mm-hmm. healthy. And AD, after a big night last night, getting some confidence back, it's still going to be a team people don't want to play. But I think they are sure. I mean, you've got Schroeder who's still out for another 10 days, I don't know, 7, 8, 10 days uh, with protocol issues. And there's your point guard. You know, it's not like Caruso can't do it because last year in the playoffs, Caruso had some really, really special moments. I mean, he played a huge role in that team. He's, I think he's about 6'5". He's strong. He's got a pretty high IQ. He doesn't try to do too much. He knows where the ball needs to get. So I, I think having Crusoe and getting him minutes is probably a good thing. A shooter will be back. It gives him a little bit more depth. I think the positive for the Lakers is that there's probably going to be a feeling after last night's game and maybe even their play in the last day or two or three that uh, we, we can do this. Now, at the, the, the end of the day, they still have to do it. And 
The thing that scares me about the Lakers is I, I believe that they can. I think Vogel's a good defensive coach. I think they can get back to guarding, and once they get LeBron on the floor, they're going to be much better defensively. Uh, because he, you know, he is going to be even though he's been hurt, he's going to be rested, and he'll have the energy to defend and when he needs to. But I, I just think it, it's a it's a team that there's still a lot of question marks about. But that being said, if I'm the Jazz or the Suns, and one of those two teams is going to end up playing them, uh, yeah, you know, you'd you'd rather start with maybe someone else because. This I do know. I mean, LeBron, if he's healthy and he can play, he, he is a leader on that floor. And uh, he has the capability of taking games over. And AD gets his – I, I thought Anthony Davis really, really struggled for a long time. And I, I saw the highlights of last night's game, and obviously he kind of went off. But if the two of them are clicking, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan about AD playing a lot on the perimeter. Uh, I, I just think the, the Lakers are better – Like. Having Gasol in the game, uh, I know he's got his deficiencies. I actually like him in the game because he stretches teams defensively, can put AD down, and, and, and you can now you can, you can have AD pop out or play inside. Uh, I just think sometimes he tends to settle for jumpers. And I mind you, they, they were going in last night, but he settles for jumpers sometimes when he could be in banging and getting some fouls and getting to the free throw line. So I like the combination. I mean, I, I, Gasol did not really play well at all during most of the season. But when he played against the Clippers, he, he gives you something. If he's knocking the three ball down, that spacing that the Lakers don't have great spacing. They kind of stand and don't move without the ball. With Gasol, he can pick and pop. And uh, I just like AD having some minutes down low. I, I just think they're better. They're better when he can get down there and get get fouls and get free throws and then step out and, and uh, hit, hit the three ball and step out and hit that mid-range jumper, which he loves at the elbow. So you referenced Bogdanovich tear, and obviously with the 48 points really exemplified it, but he's been doing it now for a number of games. He's really filled the void with Mitchell being out, and he talked about earlier in the season he wasn't hitting his shots, so he put the ball on the floor, went to the basket. Now he's got both aspects working. And so I'm wondering with Mitchell and Conley when they do come back, if you're Quinn Snyder, what is your message to Bogdanovich to make sure he stays where he's at? Well, I, I think, first of all, he, he doesn't need to change anything about his game. And they, they would, I mean, sometimes people, and I've been guilty of this, sometimes we tend to overcoach. You get in situations, it's postseason, it's a, a big weekend, and, you know, I mean, you, you can do that. And all of a sudden, the things that have been really working for you, because you add bodies to the team and you have a different lineup, uh, you, you do things a little bit differently. I, I just don't think they do anything differently. And Bogdanovich, and, and Mitchell is another creator. He's a guy that can find guys. Bogdanovich, it, it, you, you mentioned it. I mean, he's been, he has the ability to put the thing on the ball. He's playing with so much confidence. Um, I, don't, I don't think they have to rely on Donovan Mitchell like they may have thought they had to. I don't think it has to be the mindset. He'll come back. It'll take him a little bit of time to get his legs under him and, and get back. But they, I don't think they change anything about what they're doing. I mean, Bogdanovich is playing with so much confidence. Nang, is it, how, how does he spell his name? Is it Nang? Yeah, George Nang. Yeah, There's I, an S on the yeah. end of George that's signed. Yeah, he, he has, I mean, he's another guy that uh, has really stepped up in, in Donovan Mitchell's absence. So the team has actually, I think, got, I mean, it may seem silly, but it, they've actually gotten better through, through the, the, the attrition of losing 
Conley at times and Donovan Mitchell. It's what it's done is instilled confidence and uh, let guys know that, 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 hey, you know what, we want, certainly want those guys healthy and playing, but we can do this with or without them. I and mean, that's kind of the mindset that a Joe Ingles has. I mean, you watch him play, you know, and I, and I love him actually uh, at the top of the key with the ball because he's got size, he's just got a bright mind, he sees the floor. And, and I know that role it might be for Con- – you know, you mentioned Conley maybe going down in the corners. But even when Donovan Mitchell – I like it when Joe Engel has the ball in his hands. He makes good decisions. He can see over defenses. And, uh, and you can't get two or three steps off him because he, he's just shooting the ball well. So uh, I, I like those moments when, when Joe's up top. He, he makes things happen. Steve Cleveland joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So the team that's getting overlooked as we talk Jazz and Lakers is the Clippers, and they've gone through a rough stretch here, losing, uh, what, four out of six or five out of seven, whatever it is. Uh, Kawhi Leonard out, then back in. Doesn't seem like a spark. Maybe they're struggling to reintegrate him, and it'll be fine. Uh, Are we overlooking them? Should we be overlooking them? What do you think? I, you know, I, 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 would, I mean, the, the fan base may be uh, upset and disappointed with what's happening. Uh, I think that they need, they too need to get healthy. I, I, I don't know what the word is on Ibaka, but Ibaka's on the floor. Serge Ibaka can can do things that this team needs that they can stretch and open the floor because he has the ability to knock threes down. I just don't know about his whereabouts or if he's even coming back at all. But uh, they have been plagued by some injuries. I've watched them play a couple of times recently. And, uh, you know, I, I think that Rondo is a good addition for him. I think he, you know, he brings something to the table that, with that experience and so forth. But, but you're right. I, I don't think their bench is great. And uh, Paul's been playing pretty well. Uh, but they need, they, need a healthy, they need a healthy team. And they, they've kind of suffered with injuries. So uh, I, I don't think that right now where they're at is where they want to be. But you, I would never – uh, discount that team. I mean, I just think on any given night they're capable of doing things, but um, they just had a hard time finding an identity. You know, every, and when everything is initiated from the perimeter on the wings and so forth, you, you know, there's never really been a, any kind of inside presence established in that game. Rondo has helped with decision-making. Patrick Beverly is back, but I, don't, I mean, I, I think Patrick Beverly does bring some really good things to that team in terms of energy and, and defending and so forth. But he, but he's not, he's not a great offensive player, and he doesn't, he he's not, doesn't have that mindset of a point guard like Rondo plays, and so I think that, uh, uh, you know, they've struggled because of it. And uh, but I, I still, that's another team I wouldn't want to necessarily play, just because you know what their, their upside is, and uh, it's just the fact that both, both Paul, I mean, neither one of the, the, you know, the key players have played well together at the same time a lot of times, and, and a lot of it has to do with injuries, but. Uh, I, the Clippers are still capable, and uh, Utah and Phoenix are going to end up playing somebody pretty good at some point in time. And uh, I think probably, well, Utah is going to win the division, so they're not going to. I don't think that they would play the Lakers if they win their first game in that playing game. Let's say that happens, they go in the playing. They're going to end up playing. They're going to end up being the seventh seed, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So they'll play Phoenix, and mm-hmm. I, I don't think they're going to be afraid of Phoenix, and where, where they just beat them without LeBron. So. Uh, that's that's the difficult matchup for Phoenix, but at some point in time, I'm I am uh, hopeful that the Lakers can put it together and, and be competitive again and get it done. But I, I won't be surprised and I won't be that disappointed. I am uh, I, I just love that 
we've got new people and new teams and the East is the same way. I mean, I, I like the fact that Philadelphia seems to be playing better and that Brooklyn with, you know, so many guys in and out of the lineup are obviously talented. I don't know that there's many people other than that live in Brooklyn that are going to be pulling for them. <laughs> but uh, the, the top three in the East, uh, Philadelphia, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, uh, are all teams that are better. And, I mean, if Brooklyn gets everybody back, they're obviously going to be amazing. But I like the way Philadelphia has been playing. I, even though Simmons isn't shooting the ball from the perimeter, uh, they're, they're going to be a tough out. Defensively, they're much better this year. And I think there's not nearly as much pressure on Milwaukee as there has been in the past. And they haven't handled that well. So I, I think the East is going to be a little better than people think. And uh, it's going to be an exciting NBA playoffs. So you already referenced Phoenix losing to the Lakers and all talking about how there's a very good possibility that they could play in the first round. How much do you buy that messages are sent in the regular season? Because the Lakers, a watered-down version of the Lakers, although Anthony Davis was at his best, beat the Suns. So my point being, should the Suns be all that in a nervous panic? Oh, my gosh. We might have to play the Lakers in the first round. Do you buy that there's a statement made in the first uh, in the regular season? Not with Chris Paul leading that team. I, I don't think he's, that's not going to be allowed. There, there, there won't be those conversations. I mean, they'll have obviously respect. They know what they're up against. Um, I just think that a, a, a healthy LeBron and a healthy AD, that's more than that team can deal with inside and outside. And, I, and I, even though the Phoenix would have a you know the home court advantage. Um, I, I do believe that if LeBron comes back and he's any semblance of himself, that that's a series that L.A. certainly feels they can win and, and probably will win. Um, but I don't think that's going to be Phoenix mindset. I mean, they, they've had such a great year. And to have the kind of leadership that they have, not you know, with, with the coaching staff and especially with Chris Paul, um, I, I, don't, I don't think. I mean, I guess those thoughts can creep into your mind and you wonder, hey, last time we played him. But you know what? They'll be ready. They're not going to be surprised. And uh, they have a body of work. And, and a lot of the experts believe that Phoenix healthy. And, and uh, it, it, you know, most of the guys are picking Phoenix to beat L.A. because L.A. has been so up and down. I understand that. But uh, there is something to be said about the Lakers, the history, and uh, – despite the fact that they have had no chemistry on the floor and just literally ball movement was just static and um, guys taking quick shots and, and so forth. Uh, Bogle, one thing that he did a good job of last year is he really put a good defensive game plan together for every game they played, and I expect the same thing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if, if, if the Lakers are healthy, I think they beat Phoenix. I mean, and it may be it may take seven games to do it because they don't have home court advantage. But I do not believe Phoenix doesn't believe they can't win. I mean, Chris Paul is just such a competitor and has had a huge influence on that team. Besides the fact that Booker's really special, and I mean they they're having a great year and they have a lot of confidence. And you know, I, I listen to a little bit of NBA Serious Radio, and and uh, most of the experts there feel like Phoenix has the ability to, to, to win that series, even if LeBron comes back. But I don't know. I, I, I just I got to believe that the Lake, if LeBron's healthy, L.A. wins that series. Steve, as always, we appreciate it. When we talk to you again next week, it'll, well, it won't hey. all be set because we'll have the play-in series right in front of us, but the top six yep. will be set, and we'll know that. We'll talk to you then, and uh, have a good week. Hey, thanks, guys. Take care. Bye-bye. There's Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. He'll be back with us next week.
The regular season will be done. We'll be into the playing games, which are apparently neither regular season nor playoffs. They are their own thing. Uh, we will talk with him about that next week. Next, the best of the Jazz Post Game Show after the Jazz and the Warriors. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone, the Utah Jazz. A miraculous rally. They take the lead and then ultimately lose to the Golden State Warriors. Time to get a complete wrap-up on everything that happened with the best of the post-game show. Your Jazz recap here on DJ and PK in 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jake Scott with you. Jazz lose last night in San Francisco to the Warriors, 119-116. to Jordan Clarkson had uh, truly a, a, a hot-and-cold type performance. He had 41 points on 16 of 33 shooting, 5 of 16 uh, from 3 at 7 rebounds. Started the game extremely slow and then just caught fire in the fourth quarter. 24 points in the fourth quarter from Jordan Clarkson and uh, bringing the Jazz really back into this one, but they just came up a tad bit short and lose by 3. Let's start things off. Let's get some post-game sound for you with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. Start with Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Quinn, um, Obviously, great comeback from being down 18 in the fourth with JC getting hot, but kind of what were the problem areas leading up to that? Well, they, you know, they're hard to guard. They've got one of the best players in the world, and you, know, you have to do a lot of things um, to try to make it hard on him, and that can expose your defense. Um know it's harder to protect the rim and the paint um but i thought thought we we had some some turnovers that that ended up in in easy buckets for them that's what i told our guys and you know the offensive glass when we we did get stops um when we got stops late it's because of a defensive rebound and then we were able to come down and attack in transition but there were times where you know i think you know second chance points um you know, particularly in a, in a timely situation where you've worked really hard to defend and you get a stop and then you don't come up with it. But um, again, you know, I, I was really um, proud of the way we competed. As you said, I, I think that's um, to me, that's the overarching um, thing to take from this game. And then, and as I mentioned, you know, a couple of things that, that we, we, we know we need to do Um you know, to have that competitive effort turn into a win. Next up, David James, KUTV. Quinn, have you been around many players like uh, Jordan Clarkson who can be 0 for 8 from 3 and really just struggling and then 5 of 8 from 3 down the stretch like that? Can you talk about his performance? Well, I I think – you know, the shots that he's getting, you know, tonight he, he was really, I thought he did a great job of adjusting um, to the way he was being guarded, um, where he, he took some of those clean threes off the dribble in transition. 
um, you know, and then he got to the rim. Um, so it, to answer your question more specifically, um, you know, Jordan is mentally tough. And, you know, when you have a guy that believes in himself like that, has the confidence he has, um, I think he's able to, to really get to the next play when he, when he misses a shot. So he, he gives himself a chance to do that, um, you know, with his frame of mind. And, and he competes. So, no, I haven't been around a lot of guys like him, and I, I love that I get to be around him. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Quinn, uh, you guys didn't get to the rim a lot tonight. Statistically, you haven't in a lot of games. And, you know, is that obviously you're missing Mike Conley, you're missing Donovan Mitchell. Do you feel like you can still get to the rim more even without those guys, or is it just kind of a function of the personnel you're working with right now? Well, you know, different combinations of players have to score different ways. I, I thought Trent did a good job getting to the rim tonight. Um, you know, they're a long athletic team that pressures you. And, you know, Jordan got to the rim. Um, but obviously, you know, both are true. You know, I, we'd be – Donovan and Mike are pretty good getting to the rim. They're both quick. and um, But that doesn't mean that um, we have to get to the rim other ways. I think Bogey's been getting there. You know, we've got to move it and then, you know, shift the defense and then usually drive the second side. But, um, you know, obviously it's something that we're conscious of because it, it creates other offense for us. All right, we have time for one more. We're going to go Sarah Todd, Deseret News. Quinn, uh, Rudy only had one shot attempt, I think, in the first half. And then it looked like you guys made a pretty concerted effort uh, to start the third quarter to, like, go to him early on. Was that the case or what was sort of – competing against him to not get that many touches? Well, teams, you know, Rudy impacts the game so much on the offensive end by doing things that don't always result in, you know, in points or, or even touches in some instances. Um, but, you know, when he does that, he creates offense for, for other people. So I, I think the game often, you know, dictates those things depending really on how, that they're playing pick and roll. But I, I thought, you know, he did a good job um, getting out quickly on his rolls to the rim in the second half. And, you know, I thought we settled in a little bit. We were struggling offensively for a while there. And some of that's, you know, you're missing shots. But, uh, you know, Rudy has games where um, there's not as many opportunities. And then he has games where he finds them. And a lot of that's just dictated on how people play him. And, you know, for him – to be kind of understanding that, um, you know, is, 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 is a good thing. I think his understanding of the game and what's available, you know, helps him make, you know, really better and better reads in those situations. There's Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. His team came up just a bit short, 119 to 116. You heard coach, though, saying uh, how much he enjoys uh, coaching uh, Jordan Clarkson and uh, how Jordan is able to, to view the game and have the confidence and uh, go out there and uh, score 41, albeit in a losing effort. Let's uh, now get some post-game player sound. Let's start things off with Rudy Gobert. Uh, we'll start with Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Rudy, obviously you guys had a great comeback in the fourth quarter, but um, can you kind of take us through what some of the problem areas were that led to you guys being down 18 before that rally? I think they were able to get uh... – too many transition points, uh, either off turnovers or 
or you know, missed shots, bad, bad shots. And uh, I thought that uh, in half-court defense, we did a, a really good job containing uh, Steph and, and these guys. And, uh, you know, it comes down to, you know, it comes down to the details. And I think it was a great test for us. We, we came up short, but uh, we might see them, see them again. We might not. But we're just going to keep getting better. All right, next up, Maria Vidal, Tab Deportes. Hi, Odi. Bonjour, Odi. Um, despite... <laughs> Hi. Um, despite the loss, how would you describe your journey with the Jazz this season? And do you think... Um, I mean, what do you think is the key to stay mentally and emotionally motivated and resilient now that the playoffs are around the corner? I mean, I think it's been, a, for me personally, I think for our group, it's been a, an amazing year. Uh, you know, obviously, a lot of stuff are going on, uh, the pandemic and, and everything else. But, uh, you know, being able to do, you know, play the game we love and uh, do it at the highest level, you know, and then, and winning as many games that we've been winning, uh, you, know, it's a, you know, it's a blessing. And, and obviously, you know, we, we're playing for something bigger. You know, we, we have a dream, we have a goal to win, to win a championship. And uh, we know that, uh, you know, the, the best uh, is going to start soon. So, you know, it's just about keep enjoying the journey and, uh, you know, hopefully we get everybody back healthy. Uh, you know, and uh, we got our, our destiny in our hands. So we just got to, you know, do what we have to do to achieve our goal. Sarah Todd, Deseret News. Rudy, uh, early on, I think just in the first quarter, it looked like maybe you were a little bit hesitant on guarding the pick and roll and committing to one person or another. And I'm wondering, is that a function of just seeing how they're going to play the pick and roll? Or if you looked back on that, maybe would you think, I'd like to make a decision sooner? I don't know what play you have in mind. Um, I don't know what club, I mean, I don't know who, but uh, I know that, you know, of course, there's a lot of factors. Uh, obviously, with somebody like Steph, you try to take away the three. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you don't want to give him layups. So uh, it takes a team effort, you know, to, to guard him. And, uh, you know, I think for me, it's just be able to, uh, you know, not, be, not always be predictable. And at the same time, you know, uh, make sure we take away the, the easy first option. And uh, I think for the most part tonight, we did a very good job on Steph. You know, and, uh, you know, it's a little tougher when it's in transition or, you know, after offensive rebound, you know, it's, it's, it's tougher. But uh, for the most part, you know, uh, I'm always confident when uh, teams try to put me in a pick and roll. David James, KUTV up next. Rudy, it was a five-point game at the half, and that fourth quarter was <clears throat> spectacular. But did the focus waver a little bit in the third quarter? What happened that – they they went on a run like that. Yeah, they made a run. I mean, they played with a lot of energy. Uh, they were allowed to do to throw a lot of shots. A lot of, you know, play very physical, and uh, you know, and they took advantage of that. You know, we they were able to run on us and, and get easy baskets. And some of their guys, you know, of their second unit, were able to to get really comfortable and you know hit some shots, uh, hit a half court shot at the end of the third too. You know, all, all those little things that, you know, gives them confidence. And uh, I think it's on us to, 
uh, you know, take advantage, uh, especially when those minutes when Steph or Draymond uh, are out, you know, we got to take advantage of that. And, you know, I think our bench is the best bench in the league. And, uh, you know, and usually we, we are able to capitalize on that. We didn't do tonight, but, uh, you know, in the future, we know that, uh, you know, those minutes are, are really important. All right. Last question will be from Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Rudy, after the uh, Rockets game on Saturday night, several of the guys said they felt like um, they were making. You guys are making progress playing against teams that play switching defenses as opposed to dropping. Given that you saw a lot of that again tonight against Looney and, and Draymond, how do you guys feel like you handled it uh, against the Warriors tonight? I, mean, I think we did. Uh, I, I would say the better the better at doing this. And the Rockets, obviously, uh, they have more experience doing this, and it's a different game uh, for us. But uh, yeah, as long as we we try to, you know, punish them, move the ball, as long as the ball keeps moving, uh, and keep trying to attack the rim, you know, we're about to get uh, threes, and we're about to get the rim, and we're about to get fouls. So I think we did it at time. You know, I think we. Obviously, we could have done a much better job, and it's on us to you know keep working, keep being better, and try to punish you know the teams when the when teams want to black on us. We gotta find, we gotta keep getting better, and keep looking to find ways to you know uh, get easy baskets at the rim. And you know uh, we have a lot of great shooters, we have a lot of size, so with teams you know we should we gotta make it harder on them to to, to black on us. And, that's Rudy Gobert. Rudy had 10 points last night on four of six shooting, but had 16 rebounds uh, in the losing effort. Let's continue things on with Boyan Bogdanovich. All right. Uh, we'll have first question from Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Boyan, uh, I know you guys said that um, after the Rockets game on Saturday night, you felt like some progress had been made in, in how you played against teams at Switch. How do you feel like you did in that area tonight and, and also kind of what were the problems with the turnovers and the, and the transition defense as well? I mean, when you turn over the, the ball, it's tough to, tough to play defense, especially against this, this kind of, of team when you have a Steph Curry shooting from, uh, from everywhere, basically. So that was the, that was probably the reason why we lost the game. It's, it's not about it's not about our offense. I think we we did a great job. We scored 170 points, or, or, or I don't know. So I don't think that it's it's our offense. Even even we had a lot of lot of turnovers. Next up, David James, KUTV. You know there was a lot of good things in this game, but the third quarter is where it got away, and they built that big lead. What did you think went wrong in that third quarter? I couldn't hear you. Can you can you repeat the question? Something's wrong with the. What What do you think went wrong in the third quarter? That's when they built their huge lead. I mean, turnovers. Turnovers. Probably we didn't play the, the same way like we did on on the first half. We allowed uh, Steph and Draymond kind of find uh, the other guys, and they were they were pretty hot. They hit a some some really really tough shots so i mean overall it was good game from uh, from our side i mean we were right where we wanted to be we had a lead and then a ball 40 seconds 40 seconds to go so great 
great fight, but uh, but tough loss, yeah. All right, we have a follow-up from Eric Walden. That will be the last question. Boyan, with, uh, with Don and Mike out, you and JC have obviously had to do a lot more kind of carrying the offense. Um, I think Jordan had 24 in the fourth quarter tonight after after starting out 0 of 8 from three-point range. Can you just talk about his ability to kind of just get heated up incredibly fast like he did tonight? I mean, that's that's who he is. We know how 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 he can get his uh, his shot. No matter if, if he's all for ten, he will keep keep shooting. And then that's what we want from him, especially right now when we have uh, those those guys out. But yeah, great great game from his side. I mean, we were down eighteen, and he he was he was really on fire on on the fourth quarter. So he get us back in uh, get us back in the game. And like I said, that's what we what we all want from from his from his side. There's Boyan Bogdanovich. He had 27 points on 9 of 21, shooting 4 of 9 from 3, 6 uh, rebounds, and 2 assists for Bogey. He also added 2 steals, might I add. Let's uh, wrap up player sound with Jordan Clarkson. We'll start off uh, with Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Jordan, just seeing a stat that you're the uh, first player since Lou Will in 1819 to have multiple 40-point games off the bench in a season. Um, obviously, you got off to a slow start tonight and really turned it on in the fourth. Can you kind of just assess how you played overall? Well, um, I mean, we I got a lot of open looks in the first half that didn't go down. Um, you know, just trying to fill it out a little bit, uh, seeing how they was defending. Um, we knew they switched a lot of things, and, uh, you know, we're trying to do different things defensively, but you know, I just kept attacking, and uh, second half, I just tried to, you know, will us, um, you know, to a win and uh, to a comeback, and uh, just kept continuing to play. And um, you know, we had a chance to win the game, so uh, you know, I think it worked out. Tony Jones, the Athletic. Um, this is the the second time um, where you guys have given up a lot of live ball turnovers against them. And, you know, they're a team that really converts at a high percentage of those, uh, going forward, if you were to see this team again, I mean, how, how important, uh, of an aspect would that part of the be game to be, uh, in the playoffs? Well, I mean, that's probably the, the biggest thing for us is taking care of the ball. You know, we have a chance to, you know, score, um, make plays for each other. You know, the game's easy for us. You know, we, we never out of games. I think it was down close to almost 20 tonight. Uh, we started taking care of the ball. We didn't really have many turnovers towards the end of the game. And, you know, we was converting and, you know, we cut the lead down that fast. So uh, that's probably our biggest emphasis, um, you know, playing them. And um, if we run into them, you know, I feel like that's probably the biggest emphasis, just taking care of the ball and continue to score and keep doing what we're doing. Like I said, we had a chance to win this game. Um, and, yeah, that's it. David James, KOTV. Can you explain to us what what gets you going and flips the switch in the middle of the game? Because you clearly didn't have it going early. At some point, you did. Did you know that moment? Do you kind of know what triggers it? Or is it a mystery to you and it just happens? No, nah, it's just a flow of the game. It's just part of it. Uh, you know, shots stopped falling. Um, it's crazy. The shots in the first half were way more open than the shots I took in the second half. So, 
um, you know, a lot more tougher and, you know, the grid gets cozy. But, you know, it's just one of those things. It's the flow of the game. You know, start making shots, start getting out in transition. Uh, we get stops and, you know, we keep playing and, and scoring. Uh, I think we play a fun style of basketball. So, you know, it's going to flow and, you know, it just happens. You know, it happens for anybody. You know, you see Boyan going off for of 40 the other night. Uh, you know, big games from, you know, guys all year. So, uh, I think it's just kind of one of those things that just happens through the game organically. Uh, Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Jordan, when you get the ball with like 12, 13 seconds left and you drive to the rim there, what are you seeing on that play? And then do you think you were fouled on that play? Um, not necessarily. Um, you know, I had a good chance of, you know, finishing that at the rim. Uh, I feel like the, the shot before that um, on the left wing in front of our bench um, was probably more of a, uh, you know, should be reviewed and maybe looked at because I feel like, you know, that was more of a foul than anything. Uh, just maybe it was the guy that was guarding me. You know, he couldn't call a foul on late that game. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it is what it is. Like I said, we had a shot to win the game. We, had a, we were in position. Uh, a few little things at the end. Um, well, throughout the whole game, could have put us over the top tonight. So, like I said, we fought hard, showed that we didn't have no uh, no quit in us. And, you know, we ain't never out of game. So, we just going to keep continue to play uh, our style and, um, and do what we do. So, there's Jordan Clarkson, 41 points, 16 of 33 shooting, 5 of 16 from uh, from 3. Uh, but albeit uh, the Jazz come up just a bit short, they lose to the Warriors 119 to 116. Up next for the Utah Jazz in the final week of the regular season, they'll have the Portland Trailblazers uh, coming up tomorrow night. The game was initially scheduled to start at 7. It got picked up by ESPN, so the game will start at 7.30. Pre-game coverage begins at 6.30. There's the best of the post-game show when we come back. What is trending? All the headlines, the Jazz, the Warriors, what a crazy game, the Spurs with a uh, impressive win over the Bucks, Maybe the Spurs will be able to beat the Suns down the stretch. And the Portland Trailblazers are hot as they come in to play the Jazz on Wednesday night. We'll get to all of that next. What is trending on the way on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Your day has just begun. Yeah! But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah! Hashtag Utah Jazz. Two seconds, one second. Jordan Poole from backcourt. Good if it goes. Bank it in! He banked it in at the buzzer! Clarkson with a weird little tap of the ball. Now drives, beats his man. Lamp good, and he's fouled again! Jordan did it again! Jordan Clarkson, who truly was having one of the worst evenings we've seen out of him in his time with the Utah Jazz, has caught fire, is flame-throwing in the fourth quarter, and has brought the Jazz back to even with the Warriors and has a chance to give them the lead. Curry gets the pick from Draymond, splits traffic, steps into a three, it's up and no good, rebound deflected away, Looney hustles it down, back up to Draymond, 15 seconds left, Curry for three right side, got it, nailed it, timeout Utah. Clarkson gets at the top. 12 seconds left. Drives hard with his left hand down the middle of the lane to the rack. No whistle. This is the shot. Timeout, Warriors. 
And the Utah Jazz fall to the Warriors 119-116. Down 18. Jordan Clarkson with 41 points brings them back. But PK, they couldn't get the defensive rebound they needed. They couldn't get a bucket on their last three possessions. So they fall, and the mulligan is gone, and it is on with the Suns again in the race for the one seed. Uh, well, that's for today. I mean, you don't know what's going to happen tonight. So <laughs> I would make those definitive statements that the mulligan is gone. They could literally lose the rest of their games and still get the number one seed. We don't they, know what's going to happen there. They could be handed another mulligan tonight, no doubt about it. So, well, you can't say it's gone. Well, that mulligan is gone. There could be a second mulligan. <laughs> that mulligan is gone. Okay, stand by you. That's what I admire about you. Thank man. you. You draw, you draw a line, and uh, you're just going to stay with it, even if it's not true. Good for you. But, uh, yeah, they had a lot of issues there that bothered me. <laughs> List one or seven of them. <laughs> well, you know, Clarkson was amazing there for a stretch, but earlier he sucked. I mean, so we can just ignore that if we want. And then on the... You say on the, on the last three possessions, and this is my job to be the critical one, I get that, but uh, the, the first of the three possessions, the, he just dribbled the ball over by Quinn Snyder. I thought he was talking to him. That, that was no shot. That was no offensive set whatsoever. I didn't think that the third of the, la- the one you're talking about, I thought yeah. that was a pure heat check shot. I thought the one before that was a pure heat check shot, but it went in. So he took another one. Ah, if I'm that hot. Uh, yeah, but in that situation, it required that. So I was fine with that. And, but in the the third to last possession, you have the ball with, with a two-point lead. You don't yep. need a heat check. You need a good offensive set to get a good shot. The one before, the fourth one then, you didn't have the lead. Yeah, but it was, it was a one-point game. I didn't think he needed a heat check was, then. I mean, if they'd run, you know, a pick-and-roll and then reversed into another pick-and-roll and gotten a layup, that would have been a great possession. Well, then the law of numbers would dictate that your second heat, sheet, heat check isn't going to go in. Agreed. Run an offensive set. Don't just stand yeah. there and dribble the ball and chuck something up at the end of the shot clock. I thought, and then, yeah, I thought the law of numbers indicated that the one that went in wasn't going to go in. I thought they're bu- – anyway, he was feeling – anyway, go ahead. But I didn't have any problem with the uh, driving layup on the second to last one. Uh, you had a that that was a good opportunity there. Didn't go in. Looked like you got fouled. They didn't call it. That's part of the game. Uh, I had no problem with that. But I'm nitpicking on that one. I mean, this, you, you live with Jordan. You die with Jordan, and you, you yep. live for a moment there. And then also, uh, under no circumstance would I left Steph Curry because it was obvious he was going to shoot a three. He was had no interest in shooting a two. It was win or lose right then. So when that ball was loose, I wouldn't have let, whoever was guarding him. I would have not left him, even if the ball was one foot from me and I had my back turned to the ball. I wouldn't have left Steph Curry. Now he still could have gotten a three for sure, but I would have overplayed him to make sure that he took a two. It was clear that that's what he was going to do. He was going to shoot as many threes as he had the opportunity to shoot them. And in that situation, he's probably going to make one. And he made one of two. All right, we got more time to get into this game and all the stuff that went right and went wrong and how it slipped away. We'll do that coming up. We've got uh, Alec, Andy Bailey, NBA analyst for Bleach Report. We'll talk with him about it coming up at 9 o'clock. But we'll get to it in our next segment as well. Jazz and Blazers tomorrow night. DJ and PK. 
Hashtag NBA. Simons leaps to grab the rebound. Brings it up and finds Lillard. Another deep three. Yes! Damian Lillard again! This time from 37 feet! DeRozan top lane spinning. Leans in, steps through off the glass. Shot is good for DeMar DeRozan. Timeout, Mike Budenholzer. Now right of lane, Gallinari with his back to Hutchinson. Edges in the paint, turns, shoots. That's in and out. Thought about going down. Now Russell Westbrook does have his 10th rebound. So Russell Westbrook has done it. The unbreakable record has been broken. He now has the most career triple doubles in NBA history, 182. That was definitely history. (laughs) That was history, PK. There it is. That wouldn't be broken. It was a record. What does it mean? Five games under 500, holding on to the 10th spot. Holding on to the 10th spot in the East. Trying to get into the playing game. So, win, baby. Wizards lost to the Hawks in that game. Trey Young went for 36, 125, 124. The Hawks continue rolling after their coaching change. Looks like they're set up for a uh, first-round series with the Knicks. Probably the Heat are trying to get in there. It's a wild battle for 4, 5, and 6. The games in the West that you care more about, the Blazers trying desperately to stay out of that play-in series. They are 6th in the West. They beat the Rockets 140-129. to The Blazers, four straight wins, PK. I think it's 7 out of 9 now. They are playing well here. They are a half game behind the Mavericks for fifth and a game and a half in front of the seventh-place Lakers. That's interesting that you say desperately trying to stay out of that playoff. Why? Uh, you get seven and you play the Jazz or the Suns versus six, play the Clippers? I don't understand why you would be desperately trying to get out of something that may be to your advantage. Don't want to play the Warriors in a one-game situation and then find yourself losing and in a one-game situation just to be eight? Want the time off? I guess to your point, maybe you do feel better about, you know, the Suns and the Clippers. But it seems like you're messing around, you know, playing with fire and all that stuff. I mean, we're supposed to think that this playoff stuff, playing stuff, really means something because that's what the, the, the fans of the NBA media are feeding us. But if you're really that sure of your your good, I would think you'd rather play the clip. I'd rather play the Suns or the Jazz versus the Clippers. I mean, the Clippers are supposed to be all that. Spurs beat the Bucks 146-125. Patty Mills, Rudy Gay coming off the bench with big nights, and they get the win. And the Bucks defend somebody, stop somebody, anybody. 146 points. That's, that's an outrageous total. Yeah, I don't really care about the Bucks. They do nothing for me, but I think that's a positive sign for the Jazz because the Suns play the Spurs in the final two games of the season. Yep. So if the Spurs are still playing for something, they're going to go all out. So, uh, I mean, they had, uh, what, uh, six guys, five guys, six guys in double figures, seven. something like that? They had seven, seven guys. Four yeah. starters and three guys off the bench. And, and Pirtle, uh just uh, missed it by one point, and I think he missed two assists for that elusive triple-double, which has set a record for most triple-doubles by an Austrian center uh, who plays in Texas and who went to the University of Utah for two years. I mean, it's an unbeatable record, but he he almost had it. (laughs) He he almost had that record, man. (laughs) 
He was unique, but PK was making him very unique. If that's possible, if you want to break all those words down. Yeah, I guess the question with the Spurs is, will they be playing for something in those last two games? Because they are now two and a half games in front of the Pelicans and two games behind the Grizzlies. So, we'll see how much they put into it when they get there. Celtics' Jalen Brown done for the season. Torn ligament in his left wrist. He needs surgery. Shooting just a shade under 25 points, or scoring just a shade under 25 points per game. Shooting almost 49%. That is a big loss for the Celtics. We've had a weird season. Seems like it should have been better. Never really got going there. Seventh in the East, two games over 500, and Jalen Brown is obviously a huge loss for them. Yeah. LeBron James expected to return tonight. Lakers and Knicks. So this is his second comeback with the ankle, and we'll see if he can actually make that happen. Knicks have been sitting in L.A. They beat the Clippers on the weekend. They've been in a uh, pretty good run of form here. 13-3 13-3 and three in their last 16 games. So, see what they do with the Lakers tonight. NBA veteran referee Tony Brown worked the NBA Finals last year. His first Finals, he's been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. He's going to miss the rest of the season. He's been undergoing treatment since his diagnosis last month. Referee an All-Star game. Refereed an NBA Finals. Uh, 19th season as an NBA official. And before the game, Quinn Snyder starting with a... Uh, a shout-out to Tony Brown there uh, in his pregame media availability. So. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. They didn't handle it very well, I don't think. And this is the second time the Packers have gone through this. They did, they went through it with Brett, too, when they, when they drafted Aaron. With a franchise quarterback and a guy as good as Aaron, you don't treat all the players the same. I can't imagine a relationship between the coach or management or whoever's making the decisions and a star quarterback like that getting to this point. I just can't imagine it. I wouldn't allow it. It wouldn't happen. That's Mike Holmgren, the former Packers coach, former Seahawks coach as well, talking about the Packers and Aaron Rodgers and how did this thing get so sideways. And in addition to that saga, the Jacksonville Jaguars are expected to sign Tim Tebow to a one-year deal as a tight end. Tebow is 33, hasn't played in the NFL since 2012, expected to sign a deal in the near future. So we'll see. No guaranteed money in that. See if he can play tight end. This was an idea years ago, and it's finally getting a shot now because his college coach, Urban Meyer, is running the Jacksonville Jaguars, and they need players. So anywhere you can find him. Maybe they can find him in the SEC Network broadcast booth in the Mets minor league organization. Not anymore, but... Indianapolis Colts signed former number one overall picker Eric Fisher to a one-year deal worth $9.4 million. Torn torn Achilles in the AFC Championship game. Chiefs let him go. Colts are going to give him a shot. Coming back from Achilles on a one-year deal for $9.4 million, PK. That seems like a, a quick turnaround. Maybe he can pull that off, but that seems awfully quick. Best of luck to him. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Fly ball deep right field, and it is hooking off the post. And Tyler Naquin has himself a three-run home run. 
How about that? I guess when he's throwing the pitch, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter to Jared Walsh as he has just deposited a solo home run over the right field fence. Man supplies pitch. No sign of a bunt. And Winston launches one to left center field. Long run for Heath going back. It's up there. It's out there. It's gone. Game's over. Bees win. Harrison Winston with his first AAA extra base hits. And it's a game-winning two-run homer. How about that? That's a lot of how about that's in the highlights right there, PK. How about about that? that? that, Yeah, yeah. okay. There's a race to that one. The Bees get their first run. They had a big lead. They blew it, gave up six in the ninth, one in the tenth, and then got the two-run homer to win it 10-9. So dramatic comeback for them. They're one and four now. Series finale tonight, Smith's Ballpark. First pitch at 630. You can get your tickets at SLBs.com or listen to the game here on the Zone Sports Network. Major Leagues, the Reds, seventh time already. They've been in double figures. 14-1 win over the Pirates, scoring runs in bunches. Surprised the Reds are this prolific. Still a 500 team, but a prolific offense. (laughs) Prolific. Well, I mean, that's the reason why they call them the second coming of the Big Red Machine. Nobody calls them that. I just did. The Giants, two games up in the National League West after a 3-1 win over the Rangers. Pitchers duel there, and Mauricio Dubon dumped a single into left there in the seventh inning, drove in a couple runs, and the Giants win 3-1 over the Rangers. Your Angels down the Astros 5-4. Jared Walsh, four hits, a homer, and a 5-4 victory. Is Jared Walsh the next big thing, or? The guy in a hot streak. Uh, pretty impressive, man. Four for four, uh, hitting 347. I, I think it was like a 29th round draft choice. It's part of the reason why they let Pujols go, because they got to get Walsh in that lineup at first base, and Otani's the DH. So there wasn't really room for Pujols at the end or at the Anaheim. And so, yeah, so far, this kid has been quite a player. We're a month plus into the season now. Diamondbacks beat the Marlins. Luke Weaver blanking Miami into the seventh inning to lead Arizona to the victory. Diamondbacks, three games under 500, sitting in fourth place in the West right now. Luke! It's a great name to chant. He's the other one that they got for Goldschmidt, so he needs to come through. I told you to watch out for this Carson Kelly as a catcher, and he's doing very, very well. Weaver, they got three pieces, but those were the two main ones. And he's been up and down, really hasn't had any level of consistency yet in the big leagues. Boston Red Sox have the best record in the major leagues, but they got beat by the Orioles 4-1. to Trey Mancini homered. Boston, though, still 22-14, and 14, eight games over 500, playing over 600 balls, so that's awfully good. Jacob DeGrom on the injured list. Ongoing issues with tightness in the right side of his body. His latissimus dorsi muscle. It's dorsi. We already told you Dorsi, come on. Dorsi, dorsi. Think of dorsi high down in L.A. I don't know what to tell you. It's spelled different, though. (laughs) So that's really a lame excuse. (laughs) All right. What is trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. 
Coming up, Alex Brink, Washington State radio football analyst. Our spring football tour continues. Washington State, one of those five Pac-12 teams playing BYU. They're on the youth schedule. Also, one of the five teams playing BYU. And, of course, the Pac-12 can't go two and three against BYU, right? Are they not playing Utah State or is that Washington? It's Utah State, I believe, that they're playing. Needs to cross over there. Okay. He's coming up at 8 o'clock. Andy Bailey, 9 o'clock. When we come back, the question of the day. Stay with us. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Time now for Hot Takes of Toast. Brought to you by Jerry Seiner Cadillac. At Jerry Seiner Cadillac, you can shop your way and get a piece of luxury you deserve. Stop by and test drive one today. Question of the morning, are you happy with the comeback or mad at the loss? A bizarro, extraordinary game. Wouldn't be surprised if some of you actually turned it off. 18 points with about eight minutes to go in the game. But the Jazz rallied and retook the lead. So happy with the comeback or mad at the loss? PK, I think both things can be true. A lot of people are probably going to tell us both. But if you got to go more one than the other, then it's got to be mad at the loss. I agree. Thanks for coming to the show, everybody. Have a good night. We'll see you tomorrow. Is everybody on board with that? I don't know. Steve says happy with a comeback. Very respectful in my eyes. Through my eyes. Is that where we're at, though? This team is fighting for respectability? No. Scott, it was fun. I turned it off. But I did come back for the rally. It was on the third game in four nights, and they looked tired. Would have liked a foul call down the stretch, but oh well. I hope they get the next three. Me too. Tony, mad at the loss. I know these guys are running on fumes at this point, but the intensity was non-existent in the third quarter. Spacing was an issue. Forrest can't shoot, so when he's in, the defender collapses, messes up the spacing. Let's get this week over and get Conley and Mitchell ready. Well, this week we'll get over. I promise you that will happen. Will Conley and Mitchell be ready? I don't know that. Yep. What are we, 13 games for Mitchell and eight games for Conley? Been a long run here. It is. Yeah. Uh, so, and obviously the eight games that Conley's been out, Mitchell's also been out, so they've played eight games without those guys. Uh, 13 without Mitchell. Conley played... I guess he must have played five games then. They were saying last night this is Conley's eighth game. I didn't count it up. I take their word for it because they're almost always, if not always, dead on when they put out stats like that. They do their homework. So all the people who are involved in the broadcast, so I 100% believe them. 
So it is a little bit of a stretch here. And so, yeah, I want them back, too. I mean, everybody wants them back. Bogdanovich scoring all those points. He said, I want them back as soon as possible. I think that was a literal quote, <laughs> is uh, something along those lines. If not literal, then paraphrasing the exact meaning of what he said. So that's something that is there, too. But, you know, the Warriors now play the Suns tonight, so uh, we'll see if they can continue their little run there that, that they're on. They've, they've been on a decent run with this team and, and Curry leading the way with his sensational shooting that he has. You know, he's he's so very dynamic. But the game was there to be had. And, yeah, it was a stunning comeback, and that's great. Uh, it's frustrating that they couldn't close the deal there. It was there for the taking at the end, but couldn't score in the last three possessions and couldn't get an offensive rebound, or excuse me, a defensive rebound when they really need it, and that gave Steph Curry a second shot. So I think that is the uh, the overwhelming thing. I mean, the final score is usually, I think, the overwhelming thing. So JC was awesome, Dave says, except for that brick at the end. Now the third possession uh, at the end of the game, the third to last one, really bothered me because it seemed like they were content to just have him dribble, 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 and jack it up. And then earlier, if I want to nitpick a little bit, when he gets stuck down below, try to get it back out rather than see if you can just do some awkward leaner uh, off-balance shot. Uh, probably not going to go in. You know, I've got no problem with him shooting his shots. But sometimes he drives and he gets stuck. And so I'll just shoot an off-balance and... I'd like to see him make a quicker decision to get the ball back out, and maybe somebody else has a better shot. Obviously, the shot clock's winding down, too. Um, those are split-second decisions. But I think they can they can get better at that, and, and Quinn Snyder has talked about the season to use to get better, using film work on that. And so and there's really nothing that happened in that game that I didn't think was correctable and they can't improve upon, so that's good. But it could be a... A devastating loss, and I can't say they use their mulligan because if Phoenix loses tonight, then they lost their mulligan they had available on Monday, but now they got one again on Tuesday. And we're just going to have to wait till we get to Sunday to see uh, where everybody stands on that. Uh, so I don't know that they need to win any more games. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Back don't into it, huh? Everybody collapses down the stretch. It well, but, but I mean, it's probably not going to happen, but I'm not going to make definitive statements. They've used their mulligan, and I know you two like to use that, but you're both wrong for using it because you don't know that. And uh, I don't know what Phoenix is going to do. I don't know that the Jazz need to win all three of their games. I, 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 I don't know that. So I probably won't know it until Sunday. More people weighing in on this. Uh... And the Jazz, should they have uh, – are you, are you happy with the comeback or mad at the loss? Should they have pulled this game out? Jason says it's frustrating when it comes down to critical plays down the stretch. And there were so many second-chance points for the Warriors. Great comeback. If the Jazz fall to the second seed, then I'll be mad at this loss. He's delaying judgment. Put it on hold. Well – if they fall to the second seed, that means there's more losses to come. So what loss are you going to be mad at versus this loss versus that loss? All of them. 
He's cataloging them. But he singled out this one. Right. And you would think that if they lose to Oklahoma City, you would be madder at that loss because Oklahoma City has barely beaten anybody the last couple months. Yeah. Or the Minnesota ones. I mean, where does it end on that? Yeah, I go with what you just said, all of them. If it comes down to a single, a single game or you're tied in the standings, which would be a single game because Phoenix has the tiebreaker on that one. So, but I think that you did give Phoenix a little bit of a new lease on life, if you can say that. And that's probably too strong, but it did give them a, maybe a little bit of a jolt if they needed it. That uh, it's more realistic this morning than it was this time yesterday that you still have an opportunity to finish with the number one seed. We'll see what they do if they can capitalize and they can put the pressure on. But uh, from the Jazz perspective, they need the Warriors to repeat what they did. And, you know, Curry is very capable of repeating because he only went 3 of 13 from 3 and 11 of 25. So it's not like he had a great statistical shooting night percentage-wise. But I'm not sure if a Bazemore can score 19 and Poole can score 20. Those are the things that bother you is those guys doing that. Is is uh. Is Poole going to throw something in from half court again? I mean, it turned out to be a three-point game, and, you know, if he doesn't make it, then everything's different, and who knows how people react and all that. But, you know, when you're looking at stuff that can be replicated, banking something uh, yeah, in but You don't know court. that he needs that to, to do that. Are we going to give him a half-court shot to win or lose the game? <laughs> I mean, I don't know that he's. they would need that. Stick around. Uh, coming up. I mean, Poole Clarkson had a... Great shot, but Bogdanovich had a four-point play. So there's um, a lot of stuff that you wonder if it yeah. can be replicated. Yeah. I don't really get into that. The in thing Curry can replicate. Plays. The thing Curry can replicate is getting to the line. And the 12 free throws is a lot of free throws to shoot, and he got them, and he made 11 of them, and that's a big deal. Because the yeah. other stuff is just kind of, you're right, it's the volume he's going to get, and he's going to get 36 points on 25 shots. But to get to 36, I don't know that he needs 12 free throws attempts. No, because your point, he was 3 of 13, and who's to say he doesn't go out and, you know, go 8 for 11 from 3 in the next game? He very well is capable of doing that, yeah. obviously. He's a prolific offensive player on that. So we'll just have to see what happens, but... I'm not so concerned about what Phoenix does as opposed to what the Jazz do. You know, I always view tomorrow's game against Portland as being difficult, uh, irregardless of what happened last night. Portland's Portland's an extremely dangerous team. Uh, in any given game, uh, they're dangerous. Even even the Warriors, you know, and I put the question up on Facebook too. Actually, they got way more response. You know, right now. There's that's, a decent chance that you play the Warriors that's our in the next, first round. That's our next segment. Easy does it, PK. <laughs> I don't know that that's going to happen because things are changing almost daily. Well, yeah, almost daily, if not daily. There's two reasons. I guess maybe there's three reasons you want the number one seed. One of them is because of the matchup you get against the number eight. Well, you don't know who that's going to be, so we put this over here because we can't really answer that question. Another reason is so you have home court advantage when one play two in the Western Conference Final. But in what we expect to be a crazy freewheeling playoff, there's no guarantee that either or both teams will be there. And if two's playing three or one's playing three or however it shakes out, then home court won't matter if one of these teams gets eliminated. 
So yeah, it works about that. So the other reason to want it is you want them to play well down the stretch. I think that's the overwhelming reason why. Well, you they want are it. six and two without Conley and Donovan Mitchell. So they are, despite the frustration of losing that game, and I get that because it was right there for the taking. But despite that frustration, six and two without those two guys—that's a pretty good stretch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they got to finish it though. They do. They got three to go. Yeah, if it ends up being six and five without those two guys, obviously everyone will be screaming about the four game losing streak and how could they lose yeah. to the Kings and how could they lose to the Thunder. So I get it's, you know, there's still a big chunk of, you know, to be written here with the rest of the season. Even though it's only, you know, 69 down and three to go, there's still a lot to be written. And, and that's what good. Is it, what is it really going to matter? I mean, it could matter a lot, but I can't guarantee that. I mean, it could come down to Game 7 between the Jazz and Suns in the Western Finals, and then you'll be really glad if you're the team that has home court in that situation. Mm, you'll be really, really glad if you win in that situation. <laughs> right. I mean, you could be really glad and lose, and then you're not so really glad. <laughs> There's so, 31 and 4 at home. So How did they even your seven? spiel in the Western Conference Final in the seventh game, you're really glad. Well, you don't know that. You got Just because you have it in your building, that just only means you have it in your building. It means nothing else beyond that uh, because uh, probably, and we don't know that, but if we're going to be totally hypothetical here, then I could probably say that there's probably a decent chance that probably one of the teams, if not both of them, obviously would have had to have won on the other guy's floor. So the mystique of all that would be gone unless it went the rare time where you had six games divided evenly with the home team winning all three and three. That happens sometimes for sure, but my guess is, and I'm not going to look it up, but I'm guessing that it's rare that it happens. So for me, finishing one means you had the best team in the league because one most likely gives you best team overall in the league in the West, gives you number one throughout the league. And it means you means these other guys, what Joe Engel said last week, these other guys that you need to count on, you may need to count on. They will have had to play well because at that point, I'm assuming Conley and Mitchell don't come back uh, in these next three games. So that means if they've played eight, so they would have played 11 without them. Uh, and if they were to, they would have to win a couple more ball games. And you tell me they're six and two without both these guys. So they would be in the, uh, what, uh, eight win, nine win category without them that would be pretty good and and in order to do that you need these other guys to play well or and or I should say rather than just or the main guys who are going to play when those two stars come back they would have to play well which obviously Bogdanovich has been doing and Clarkson's been scoring now Joe didn't have a great shooting game uh, and neither did Niang but generally over the course of this time those guys have played well so their confidence should be going sky high but I love this how, you know, we the uh, Clarkson uh, let him back and he's a player and all. We don't talk about his plus minus was minus 17. We only bring that up when we needed Conley to make the all-star team. <laughs> that that was, he had the highest plus minus in the league. You know? at, at one point, uh, until Clarkson got hot, his plus minus was minus 29. I was looking at it. I don't necessarily believe in that stat anyway. But these other guys are going to have to play well. That's what it means to me that rather than a hypothetical seventh game that I don't even know that they're going to win Hmm. uh, means to me what I do know is if they get the number one seed that they played well as a team and they played well 
when their starting backcourt went out, which says something to me. What does it say? I mean, it says that they would have had to play well. That's why I want them to have the number one seed as opposed to some hypothetical game that may or may not happen. If it happens, obviously I want them to have the home court. But even then, I don't know that they're going to win. Uh, I still want it, though. I think it's important. But I think the overriding concern or priority for me is that they will have had play, have had to play well. And it all depends, you know. I mean, and I like the fact that there's three games left, and these three games mean something. We have a little bit of a pennant race here because uh, I think it would be awful for the league if the Lakers are in the finals and they finished in seventh place. <laughs> a regular season that already is questionable and the Lakers at seventh, yeah, it would be bonus for the ratings, but for the competitive balance of the regular season? Well, even beyond the competitive balance, just to any meaning at all. Right. There, that, the, there would be no competitive balance in the league. That's the whole point. The regular season means absolutely nothing. So why should I pay attention to it? If the Lakers are in the finals, and I know we got a lot of NBA homers around here, but if the Lakers get in the finals, that's another reason to hate the Lakers because I think that's disgusting for the league. They can, Your two stars can sit out a combined more games than you actually played because they would be out combined, the two of them, I think if you add it up, would be more than 72 games. And if they get to the NBA Finals, then the regular season. What did it mean? Yeah, I'll pay attention to it it because I have to, but as far as the, the competitive nature of it, doesn't really mean anything. LeBron and AD have played 76 games this year. Now, some of those they've barely played any minutes in, you know, if you get hurt early and you leave the game. Uh, but 76 games played so far. So they've missed a lot of basketball. Out of 144? It will be 144. It's not there yeah. yet. But, yeah, so it must be 76 out of 138 or 136. And then they'll probably get where they got three or four more games. So and AD looks like he's going to yeah. play four. And then LeBron is supposed to be back here. Do they have three right. left or four? I don't know. I don't know. But I think yeah. you see, they said they'd come back tonight and all that stuff. It's against the Knicks and blah, blah, blah. They'll pump that game up because it's LeBron and it's about stars and driving TV and all that. I understand all that. It's a business. And they're in the business of making money and good for them, as they should. But for the rest of us, if the Lakers get there, if you need it, and it's not like any of us need another reason to root against the Lakers, but if you needed one more, I think that's There it, it. is. Yeah. All right, we got more people weighing in. Uh, last night, you're happy with the rally. You're mad at the loss. Jeff says, I'm mad at these stats. Gobert, 10 points. Ingles, 5 points. Unacceptable, especially the lack of Ingles shots. I wrote a lot of this off to fatigue, PK. It's Saturday. They were talking about it, even though they won, which is actually, you know, it's always like your theory on Majerus. If you're going to complain about something, complain after you win. And he would complain about the conference tournament after he won it. I hate this thing. Well, he's not whining. He won it. Uh, Gobert and Ingles. So I wondered how much of that is just uh, the fatigue of all of this. Well, why not Na- Niang then, too? Yeah, I have a hard time with that just because he hasn't played as many minutes this season. I get he's played bigger minutes, and maybe that's done it. You know, he's played bigger minutes. Yeah, but uh, if you played fewer minutes out. in December. Maybe you're not that, in the shape to handle the 24 in a game? Uh, I, I, I just don't know that if you played f- – that, that because you played fewer minutes in December, that's going to benefit you in May. I think the fact that you played a lot of minutes in April and May is going to take a toll in May. 
on that. I would have liked to have seen Gobert get more shots. Uh, see if they could find him a little bit more. Joe, you know, he's charged with a lot of responsibility there because he's running around on defense and he's literally the only proven ball handler that they have as far as a playmaker on the offensive end. So it's a little understandable there because he's got to expend so much energy doing so much other stuff. Uh, but I would have, but the, the Warriors are really small, and, I, and I'm not a basketball guy, so uh, don't come at me and say, well, what you would have done. I'm not a coach. I'm, I'm paid to second guess, not to coach and draw plays. Uh, I would have liked to have seen him get more opportunities against a smaller uh, offensive uh, or defensive lineup that the Warriors put out there. And then I got to say, Oni for three, I don't want to hear that. Oh, for two from three. And I think that uh, we had someone earlier say people, you know, sagging off him. I mean, Steph Curry, you know, needing to rest and play. And they, they put him on Oni. He, he st- Oni's in the corner and Steph's two steps off him. The floor gets awfully crowded. Yeah, and it just, I don't even like the look of his shot. And it doesn't, I mean, what's going up, you can see, okay, that's got no chance. Yeah. Maybe they can get the rebound. But, but my guy, Matt Thomas, man, came in and gave him a spark. I like how Quinn went to Matt Thomas. I'm, I'm being serious. Try something, man. They were struggling at that point. They were struggling in the fourth yeah. quarter, and you're like, are you, how many minutes are you going to play these guys? So you get you give one player, one perimeter guy, a chance to sit, and Clarkson played 35 minutes and Joe played 31. And in the four minutes, hit a shot and hit three or four at the line and gave him five points in four minutes when they were – yeah, I mean, they were really taking yeah. on water there in the third quarter. They needed something to start the fourth. If a you couple look at my, of assists and a board. If you, look at my, that. if you look at my Twitter, I was wondering if, if Quinn was just going to pull everybody and say, this game's lost, which, you know, sounds ridiculous now that they came back. But You're a quitter. I was. And just, <laughs> just save all these guys' legs. They're gassed and try to get them ready to win the home game on Wednesday against Portland. You quitter. Quitter. <laughs> All right, coming up, PK alluded to it. The other question, it got a lot of reaction. The Warriors beat the Jazz again at home. Should they meet up in the playoffs as the 1-8 and seed? What's your level of concern? We will get to that next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Warriors reporter Kendra Andrews, kind enough to join us. When you look at the playoffs overall, are you excited for what we could be seeing here in the next couple weeks? Oh, absolutely. I mean, last season I covered the Nuggets and I was treated to that incredible seven-game series and duel between Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell, which I think was one of the best back-and-forth playoff performances we've seen in recent years. This Jazz team is so fun to watch and the Warriors, when they're on and Steph Curry's going, it's also very fun to watch, so that could be an incredible duel. And just throughout the NBA, really, the Western Conference in particular, there's so many good teams and so many fun teams, and I think this season's playoffs is going to be a lot of fun to watch. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Zero Res. When zero res comes to your house, the carpets and tile aren't clean. They're zero res clean. Just $33 per room. You deserve the best. You deserve zero res. Schedule with zero res today. Call them at 801-288-9376 or schedule online by searching for zero res carpet cleaning. All right. The Warriors beat the Jazz again at home since they could meet up in the playoffs as a one and an eight seed. What's your level of concern? 
Nick says it depends on if we have Conley and Mitchell back. If we have them, Whoa. Jazz in five. If we Whoa. don't, we lose the series. Oh, yeah, well, if you're going to miss both those guys in the postseason, it doesn't really matter who you play in a postseason. It's going to be very difficult. It's not that, but that's not particular to the Warriors. I mean, whoever, if the Jazz finish first or second, whoever is that seventh and eighth place team without your starting backcourt, it's going to be very difficult. I understand that. It's not particular to the Warriors. I believe it would be very difficult no matter who you play if you don't have either or both of those guys ready to go. We got a lot of those responses. Jeff, no concern. Warriors are full strength. We are not. With Conley and Mitchell back, bring them on. Well, they're not. They're they're full of strength for this year. But that guy Clay Thompson over there, turns out he can shoot it. Well, a little Wiseman's bit. a player. He too. might help. Yeah, Patchell plays a little bit for them. He didn't play. Clifford Ray didn't play. I mean, come on, Clifford, Clifford Ray. Ray. <laughs> uh, you know about Clifford Ray? I do. Okay, good. Come on, Google him, people. <laughs> Start throwing out Alzheimer's, like yeah, Clifford Ray. <laughs> no idea why I thought of that one right then and there. The Sam Bowie of the seventies, <laughs> Clifford hey, Ray. Hey, you didn't go Chris Mullins. I'll give you credit on that. Well, yeah, Chris Mullins, obvious. Hey, no. run TMC isn't walking through that door. <laughs> there you go. Well, of course they'd be running through that door. You dope. Not at their advanced age now. <laughs> It'd be strolling, okay. strolling. Jogging? Yeah, yeah, jogging, jogging, <laughs> light jog. Michael says, th- he goes the other way. We got a lot of people saying no question, no concern, and they're all pointing to the injuries with good reason, obviously. But Michael says, should be high. Steph is the best shooter of all time. He hit one in the fourth. He's on a mission. I definitely wouldn't take him lightly. I'm not taking anybody lightly who's in that A spot. I've been saying it for weeks. That eighth spot's going to have some players, either proven commodities like Steph Curry or budding future all-stars like John Morant. You know, name the team. They've, they've all got players. I really believe that. Lakers could fall to eight. You, <laughs> you, get, you get LeBron and AD. I mean, Congrats no, on the one seed. LeBron's a future all-star. Well, he probably does have an all-star game in his future, so if that's uh, a... Yeah. Trying to thread Bold, that he's needle. A, he's a guy on the come, and and he's on a mission too. Yeah, so he's a crusader. If nothing else about LeBron James, he's a crusader. He's a leader of men. Uh, so that uh, yeah, that would be very difficult. It's all going to be difficult. Corey the says. Still, Corey says better the Warriors than the Lakers in the first round, which sure. is a huge possibility. Okay. Yeah, oh, I would agree with that. Uh, but in the same breath, the Warriors have beaten the Jazz the last two times they've played them in, in San Francisco, have they not? Yep. And they work them on a Sunday afternoon? Yeah, I just can't get too um, too drawn into the regular season matchups. I mean, I, I do once in a while, but I just think it's clear that with the Warriors and the Clippers, uh, in both these cases, you know, the Jazz won the Clippers series 2-1, to one, and they lost the Warriors series 2-1. to one. But one of those two Jazz wins was against a Clipper team. They, they sat everybody. That, that win doesn't matter in the playoffs. I mean, if they sit everybody in the playoffs, the Jazz are going to win that series. Yeah, but they're not play- we're not talking about the Clippers. We're talking no, about but the I'm just saying that going to these regular season matchups, you can't just say somebody won 2-1 to one if you can dismiss one of the games. Okay, but what I think dis- the Jazz are dis- one— 
I think the Jazz are one and one against the Clippers, and I think they're one and one against the Warriors for purposes of using these regular season games. Yeah, I mean, and it's, it's still it's, shaky because yeah, somebody may have been back to back. Though for, for the Warriors, I get your point on the Clippers. I agree 100. percent Right. But the Warriors, it's not about who you didn't have necessarily, because. Clark's just not going to go for 41 the next time, and you still lost. Whereas Steph Curry can go for 41. So it's about Curry and his ability to lift a team that is okay at best. He can bring them to another level than that their talent should indicate that they should be at because of his ability. That's what makes me nervous. Whether they won that game or last night. So I get your point. Don't focus on the regular season results. I I agree with you on that. But I'm going beyond that. So, to your point, Steph Curry could do it. I think the odds are against it. I'm 100% on board. Like, the odds are not zero. He's Steph Curry, so the odds are not zero. But if he could lift a team routinely all by himself and do it, then they wouldn't be battling in that 7-8 spot three games over 500. I, I understand that. So but I that, think the Jazz will win the series if both teams are full strength. I'm but, not that worried, but I can't slam the door on it because you're right. Whoever is 8 is good, but the Jazz it, are very good. It's not exclusively about winning the series, though. We're already talking about, oh, the Jazz were tired. Yep. So if they get pushed to a seventh game and then have to turn around in less yep. than 48 hours and play game one against whomever, yep. well, if we're going to talk about them being tired last night, well, the same scenario could play out. So you could win the series and still be detrimental to you in a sense. Or if somebody tweaks something, this hamstring thing ain't going away anytime soon. So Ever. that's not the point. They can push you and you could still win it. That's not the exclusive point. It is the point is to win a series, obviously, but there is subplots within that that could affect you in round two. It's fact that could happen. There's a whole list of things that could happen, and that's why we're fired up for the playoffs. That's why we're fired up for the last three games of the regular season. Because there's a whole list of things that could happen. Some of them seem far less probable than others. But nonetheless, they could happen. I think the one thing to watch in this Warriors series and the Jazz series is that both teams count on role players to produce a significant amount. Mm -hmm. And role players, some of them who are young and inexperienced, you know, are they going to be better at home or on the road? I think that's one thing that we can take from the regular season. You know, Niang didn't have a great game, and he just had several good games. Well, he just played five games in a row at home. Yeah. And then they went out on the road. And we've been hearing this since before Niang was born. You know, this isn't just about him. This is about dozens and dozens of role players across the NBA which is why you want home court advantage as much as possible, and they're striving for one, because a lot of role players, your, your role players are going to play better, and their role players might struggle a little more. You know, They're going to be throwing in all the three-pointers at home or on the road, but probably at home. Yeah, That's when your role guys are probably going to get it going. Agreed. All right, DJ and PK, Alex Brink, Washington State radio football analyst, the Washington State Cougars, ready to play for the Utah State Championship. We'll get to that coming up. Stay with us. He's going to join us next spring football tour. See what the Utes and the Cougars and the Aggies are up against in this coming season. Alex is next. Stay with us. Registration is now open for Skyhawks Sports Academy Summer Camps. 
Join them for an action-packed, fun-filled summer of youth sports camps at a location near you. Choose between soccer, flag football, fueled by USA football, golf, baseball, cheerleading, multi-sports camps, mini-hawk camps, and more. Find program information to register today at www.skyhawks.com. It's time to welcome in Alex Brink, Washington State radio football analyst, part of our spring football tour. Alex, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you? We're doing well. We're going to see a lot of the Washington State Cougars. Utah State in the opener. Utah in the fourth game of the year. And BYU in late October. That is the, looks like the eighth game of the year for Washington State. And obviously you had the coaching change there. And I'm just curious how much we know about Nick Rolovich and how much just because of the craziness of 2020 and the super abbreviated season. How much is he still a mystery to Wazoo fans? And just they're drawn on what he did at Hawaii because they haven't seen enough of him at Wazoo. Well, I tell you what, I, I think one thing we learned about Nick Rolovich and his staff in general uh, throughout all of 2020, you know, was a lot about who they are as people and their ability to connect with both athletes and fans, right? I mean, Nick Rolovich was very early on in kind of the pandemic lockdown time, going out into the community in Pullman and ordering meals uh, for people and saying, hey, meet me down at the local pizza shop and I got 20 pizzas waiting for anybody that needs dinner, stuff like that, right? And so that connection, you know, is, is true to the Coug spirit, obviously. You know, I think the question marks around kind of what the product is going to be on the field, you know, is fairly similar to, to what you would see with other programs, you know, that have gone through coaching changes during this time. You just don't really know because – you know, four games or six games or whatever you got in last year really just wasn't, um, you know, wasn't enough of a sample size. So I think that's what we're waiting to see, particularly on the offensive side of the football is when the run and shoot, you know, Nick Rolovich's kind of trademark offense, so to speak, of what he runs, when that run and shoot is fully installed, what does it look like at Washington State? Because we did not see that in 2020. We saw, you know, fits and starts, but we didn't see, I think, what the end product will be. So I can make a case you got nine starters returning back on offense with that Rolovich offense that you speak of, but the quarterback position is a little bit muddled. Obviously, the freshman, Jaden Delora, had his issue. I think he had the DUI was suspended uh, during the offseason. Guarantano, the transfer from Tennessee, comes in. Uh, Cam Cooper, a local kid, is still in the mix. As of right now, where does it stand? Well, you know, you're 100% right that it is a little murky. I mean, Jaden DeLora got off to a hot start with a win against Oregon State last year as a true freshman. But, you know, as most freshmen experience at a high level, um, you know, tailed off a little bit towards the end, particularly against some of the better teams in the league. So I think in general, on field was a great learning experience for him. But, you know, he made some poor choices off the field, and now he's in a position where he's got to battle for his job. And so – uh, you know, bringing in Garantano from Tennessee, I think, was a great move for Washington State, a guy that started a ton of ball games in the SEC. And, you know, he's kind of vilified to some degree by the Tennessee fans. Um, but if you look at that Tennessee program that's had so much turmoil and so much turnover at the coaching position during his time, you can appreciate where um, he's had challenges as a quarterback. So going to Washington State, I think, was going to be a great move. And then first play of the spring scrimmage there on, at the end of spring ball, you know, he got hurt with looked like a hand injury. We don't know how serious or anything, but, you know, that was going to be kind of the fans' first opportunity to see him in live action. 
Um, so that was a little disappointing, but he's got a long way to go, obviously, before fall camp to get ready. And then, you know, Cameron had a nice spring and I think has a, a season and a fall under his belt to learn this offense. He's obviously a phenomenal athlete. Um, you know, he's kind of of the mold. I always tell people that, you know, nowadays we used to guys that if they don't play by their freshman or sophomore year, they transfer or, or we kind of consider them a failure. The reality is, shoot, when I was playing, if, if, if you sat for two or three years, you were considered experienced, and that was part of the timeline when you got a chance to go. And so I think Cam has been waiting his, uh, waiting his turn, and so he's in the mix to compete for sure. So the receiver core, it looks like uh, two or three. Harrison Bell put up pretty big stats last year, and Calvin right there. Behind that, uh, you know, it's only four games, so there's a lot of freshmen and sophomores. I'm curious if the receiving core is top-heavy, if you expect any of these freshmen and sophomores to break out, or is it going to be the same guys at at the top of the stat sheet again? I'll tell you what, I mean, if you can, if you can believe it, you know, considering you had Mike Leach in the air raid offense and then you transitioned right into Nick Rolovich in the run and shoot, you know, the receiver position I would consider a little bit thin right now at Washington State. I mean, there was from the transition from Coach Leach to Coach Rolovich, there was a lot of turnover. You had some graduation, you had some guys, you know, that didn't make it for various reasons, transfers and that sort of thing. Um, and so last year going into the season, you're right, you know, you had Renard Bell and Travell Harris in the slot that were super impactful. I mean, they fit really well. Jameer Calvin was another guy that, you know, was productive. He actually entered the transfer portal and, and has since transferred to, I think he announced Mississippi State with Coach Leach just the other day. So he's gone, um, you know, and so you don't have as much depth as you would like. And they brought in some guys on the outside that, they're, you know, they're hoping young freshmen have a chance um, to, to pop. They brought in a junior college transfer, C.J. Moore from uh, who was at Oklahoma State, a former four-star recruit, big, tall, athletic receiver. They really hope he can pop, but they need some help on the outside. I mean, this run-and-shoot offense needs four guys that can go get the football. They need guys that are threats on the outside. And right now, Washington State don't doesn't have um, guys that have proven they can do it. I think they have the athletic ability, and they have the guys on the roster, You know, but they got to do it when the live bulls are flying. All right, well, the the run and shoot, you know, you talk about the shoot, but how about the run? Because I like the running backs uh, with, uh, obviously, Borgie and uh, what's the Notre Dame transfer? McIntosh, what's his name? Yeah, uh, Dion McIntosh. That's yeah, right. so you got those two kids, and then I look at the line, you got four or five starters returning. Lucas, uh, I think it was second team, all Pac-12 last year there so it looks like they're in good hands as far as running the ball you think maybe we'll see some more of that yeah you know it's funny i think in the past it's been very easy right to to lean into washington state's offense and talk about quarterbacks and receivers because of the system and what you know what coach leach brought and you know what we expected out of nick rolvis the reality is uh, Max Borgie is the best player on this roster at the running back position, um, you know, across the board. And I would, I would argue that he's one of the top five players in the Pac-12 um, as long as he stays healthy, which, you know, last year was kind of the first year we saw that pop up for him. I mean, he's an explosive back. He's going to play on Sundays, no doubt. Um, and I think this system is going to fit him really well. They do want to lean into running the football more. Uh, you know, Nick Rolovich and his offense coordinator, Brian Smith, who is the running back coach, uh, you know, they want to – have an element of balance but more importantly you know they want to utilize their playmakers to the best of their ability so you know they're not gonna you're not gonna see Max Borgie just in the backfield he'll split out at times you'll see him in motion they'll get creative with him 
I mean, he is he is truly going to be a guy that uh, is going to make a huge impact, you know, every time he touches the field on Saturdays. And then we saw last year when Forgey was hurt, Deion McIntosh, like you said, Notre Dame transfer, um, you know, really successful in his own right, had a great, uh, great season in that shortened year. So you have some depth there. Um, and then that offensive line, I mean, look, Abe Lucas is going to be a first-round draft pick in, in the NFL at the right tackle position. You got Liam Ryan, who's back, who's going to be a four-year starter. You got Brian Green, your center back. I mean, you have um, at the guard position, you have talent and you have depth there. And so I think this offensive football team for Washington State is going to center around the line and the running backs, you know, which is strange to say based on what we know about the Cougars in the past. But, I mean, that's really where they're going to make their bread and butter. We're joined right now by Alex Brink, Washington State Radio Football Analyst, Spring Football Tour. Washington State's going to open with the Utah State Aggies, then play the Utes and the Cougars later in the year. So we're going to see a lot of them. You know, on the defensive side of the ball, if we've learned anything watching Kyle Whittingham over a decade and a half as a head coach at the U, uh, defense starts with the defensive line, and if you can stop the run, and if you can do it with those front four, then everything else you can build off of that. And reading about the spring game, basically the whole D-line sat. Have they identified the whole D-line, trust the whole D-line, and they're starting in a good place there? Well, I tell you what, I think you know Washington State's defense as a whole is, a, if you look at the roster in the two deep and even in the three deep, there's a lot of guys that have Pac-12 snaps under their belt, right? And there's, you know, there's re- various reasons for that. It, it feels like you know, there were some injuries last year, so you got some different guys that were stepping up previously two years ago other guys happened to be the starters and stepping up and then they were banged up last year so now you've got this too deep across the board on the defensive line where you say oh yeah you know two years ago Willie Taylor had four and a half sacks you know last year he wasn't quite as impactful so is he going to step up again and and, and be the guy Uh, you know you got guys like Brennan and different rush end type guys that stepped up last year that I think um, you know have a chance again to to make an impact the key is going to be in that inside um, you know, in those one and three techniques, right? Can they can they make a big enough impact that they keep the offensive line off the linebackers to be able to continue to make plays? And I think Washington State's defensive line, through for various reasons, both recruiting and injuries, you know, over the last two or three years, have struggled with depth issues, and their impact players haven't had a chance to make the impact that you would expect. So I'm looking to see if that group can get healthy over the summer and come in full strength in the fall, because I do think um, you know they have a chance. To really be uh, be a solid group, but the reality is Washington State's strength uh, on defense right now is at the corner position, which is it's been it's, it's been a long time since Washington State's had a chance to say that. But Jalen Watson, you know, number zero is as good as they get when it comes uh, to to a corner. He's six three hundred ninety five pounds. He came in. He was a former USC recruit. Had to go the junior college route because of some grade issues. Ends up at Washington State, was a great player last year in that shortened season, had the chance to be really, really special. And then you bring back George Hicks, Shaw Smith-Wade, um, you know, Derek Langford. You've got four or five guys that can go into that rotation at corner. So, to me, I'm saying, boy, if our secondary is that strong, you know, maybe that helps the D-line, whereas in the past it's really been about can the D-line get pressure to help the secondary. All right, so that leaves us with linebacker. Uh, I can make a case. I think they're they're waiting for uh, see what Dylan Sherman does if he returns or not, which would bolster the group. But you got to like Jaha Woods, who can make a case for him possibly being all conference. Yeah, boy. I mean, you're bringing back Jaha Woods, who's gonna uh, you know be one of the all-time leading tacklers uh, at Washington State when it's all said and done. The fact that he decided to return, honestly. 
uh, is a big boon for Washington State's defense. I mean, he is a he had you know was kind of on track to maybe average less tackles per game during last year's season than he did previously, but that was almost by design, right? He was in the past he's been asked to do everything, be all over the field, and that's really affected, I think, you know, his overall performance in the end. Although he's had a lot of tackles, so I look for him this year, right? If he has the help on the D line, he has a guy next to him making plays. You know, you won't have to have Jihad Woods make every tackle, but he'll make the impactful tackles. And so he is really the core of it. You bring back Justice Rogers, who's been, you know, a three-year starter at middle linebacker, a former high school quarterback who's super cerebral, you know, has been very productive. But there's a guy on the roster named Travion Brown that, that the coaching staff has been kind of waiting to come along at the middle linebacker position. I mean, he, he really looks the part when he's on the field. And, you know, he had some flashes as a freshman. Um, was a guy that was, uh, you know, all pack as a, as a true freshman. And then, you know, he comes back on the fresh, excuse me, freshman all pack team. And then, you know, last year didn't get as much time because of injuries. But if he can step up, you know, he's going to provide some really important depth at that linebacker position. And again, they need somebody that can be an enforcer in the middle of the field. And, and I think Travion Brown can be that guy if he's on, if he's on the field. So in the shortened season, Washington State went one and three with a bizarre and really somewhat unfair schedule. Beat Oregon State in the opener, but then had to play Oregon, USC, and Utah. Just getting the top of the conference after that, and uh, lost all three of those games. So where are expectations for this year? Is uh, is a winning record possible? I sure think a winning record is possible. You know, I think they're going to have to start fast. I mean, I really believe that. You know, this is a team that. You know, it is learning still under Nick Rolovich. There's been that transition. I think one thing about Mike Leach and what they brought in was a very clearly defined system, you know, and expectations from top to bottom. And so, you know, that guys were used to that, right? And now they've had to transition to something a little bit different that I think can have success in its own right. But, um, you know, they really got to, you know, get a chance to, to kind of gel together. And, and the challenge, if you don't start fast, right, is then all the question marks and the outside noise starts to come in. So I think, you know, getting off to a fast start against Utah State would be really important. Um, you know, the question marks at quarterback, uh, I think, are uh, very valid, and those have to get answered, you know, during fall camp right away. But, again, with the offensive line and Max Borgie and then what looks like some strength on the back end of the defense, you know, I, there there are pieces of the puzzle that are going to allow some of the growth to happen um, a little bit along the way. So I think a winning record is absolutely the expectation at Washington State. And I, and, I, and honestly, what I really believe is that, you know, there should never be a step back now to the, the Washington State Cougars not expecting to go to a bowl game every year. And so to me, I think that's what the guys in the room truly believe. Well, Alex, we appreciate you coming on the air. We might lean on you in the fall since uh, sure. you're playing all three uh, in-state teams. I don't know why Portland State. I mean, Weber State and Southern Utah. I mean, cut a deal. Let's, <laughs> yeah, we might as well yeah, add, go, add go, them all in, right? Add four. Go for the grand slam, right? All right, thanks, sure. Alex. We appreciate it. Yeah, guys, look forward to catching up again. Take care. Alex Brink, Washington State Radio Football Analyst, a season opener with the Aggies, the Utes on September 25th, and the Cougars on October 23rd. So there is a spring football Tour stop at Wazoo. Coming up, Andy Bailey, NBA analyst for Bleacher Report at 9 o'clock. We got some Bees tickets to give away. We got your reaction to the Jazz. Great rally, disappointing loss, and a possible quick return to play the Warriors in the first round of the playoffs. And we'll get to all of that coming up next. Stay with us. DJ PK in the morning brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. PK, you know the great thing about this show? 
What, DJ? Well, we solve the mysteries of the universe. We've gotten answers to questions this morning. You happy with the comeback or are you mad at the loss? The Jazz were down 18. There was eight minutes left in the fourth quarter, and they just looked like they were dead in the water. The sails were up, but there was not a breeze to be found. I thought bringing in Matt Thomas to start the fourth quarter was great. Keep the minutes off somebody else's leg. Get the other guys ready for Wednesday. Hey, you gave them a little spark. You gave them a little life, but they were still in a big hole. And then Jordan Clarkson, for no apparent reason whatsoever, heated up. He goes for 41, and the Jazz come back to take the lead. Now, they lose the game at the end, so you happy with the comeback or mad at the loss? Mitch says, I was happy to see Clarkson get hot. We need him confident going into the postseason. (laughs) 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 Yeah. (laughs) Is that an issue? You got some, uh, I don't think it is. Quinn addressed that in the postgame. You know, he said he's mentally tough. And yeah. Quinn does not want, and we, we all do this to one degree or another, and, and probably the players do too. Certainly Joe does, because Quinn's talked about Joe specifically, but I'm sure other players do it too. Quinn doesn't want the analysis of the shot attempt to be it went in or it didn't, so it was a good shot or it wasn't. He has come up with, and I'm sure they got data and they got video, and He's decided this is a good shot. This is a bad shot. Now, the bad shots go in sometimes, and the good shots don't always go in, but he definitely, man, he's just hammered this with the media. A good shot, you know, a 45-foot pass up the sideline and a quick three unguarded is a good shot, and he's drilled that into the media over and over. Now, Clarkson, who didn't have an assist while he had 41 points, and I know a lot of people saw a lot of comedy in that, but when he was red hot in the fourth quarter and everything was going in, he got a ball, and I don't remember if he, I think he ran down a long rebound, and he was on the far side of the court, and he threw a 45-foot pass up the sideline to Bogey, and I remember thinking, well, that's what Quinn wants. Bogey better take this shot, and he took it and he missed it. And I don't think Quinn's ever going to second-guess that. You know, if it goes in, then Clarkson has an assist, and that whole bizarro stat, you know, talking point goes away because of one assist. So, good shot, bad shot, he's not just judging on whether it goes in. You know, these, uh, you were talking earlier, PK, about the shots and the paint, and Quinn hasn't gone into this a lot, although once he did, and maybe other times because I haven't been on every Zoom call, uh, but I heard him talk about with Clarkson, you know, he has a different set of rules than everybody else. They trust him to beat people off the dribble. Uh, certainly they trust Mitchell and probably Conley, too, to beat people off the dribble. Joe in certain situations. Bowie's gotten a lot better at it. But Clarkson, you can change direction once or even twice, but the third time the ball has to be passed because just too many defenders are going to collapse on you. And there are going to be people coming in from weird angles you can't always anticipate. Uh, so I thought when you brought that up, I thought of that about that right away. Um, but, you know, how you analyze these uh, and how we and, and fans, media, all together, how we analyze these performances isn't automatically how Quinn's doing it. You know, who had a good night and who had a bad night. We were talking about Joe Ingles earlier, you know, one for six. I don't, you know, I don't think six three-pointers. He's one for six from three. I don't, think, I don't think taking six threes is a bad game for Joe. Now, you'd have to go through the film, break it down possession by possession. Maybe he passed some up. And how good were they and, and why did he do it? But when you're just looking for a number for a game, six isn't a bad number for him.
The way I look at Clarkson is that he's one of these guys in a baseball analogy who produces a lot of runs, a lot of runs batted in, a lot of home runs, but there's going to be some strikeouts along the way. And you're just going to have to take those strikeouts with the other stuff, and there's not much you can do about it. And so rather than focus on the strikeouts, is he contributing to helping your team win? And if the answer is yes, well, he's not a perfect player who makes great decisions every single time he has the ball. So you're going to have to just live with that, try to reduce the opportunities to uh, make a bad decision, help him, coach him along that way, and then you go along that and get what you get. So, and they've, they've, what's their, what's the phrase I'm looking for? I guess the simple without any cliche is they've made their decision that this is who, uh, they're going to be with him. This is how they're going to treat him, how they're going to play him. So with that in mind, they've already made it up. Their minds are made up that he's going to have free reign to do what he does. So that, there's no sense uh, going back and forth on it. It's just the reality of it. And so live with it. And they've decided, the experts have decided, that there's far more benefit in him doing this than reining him in and second-guessing him. Majerus used to call it bench-eye. He, <laughs> That's a good he term. Was such a, yeah, he was such a dominant, imposing figure on the sidelines, and he knew that that was a little bit of a weakness in his game because he always stood up. I mean, he literally never sat, and he was there at all times, you know, and every time there was a timeout or a free, or a free throw shoot, or I should say free throws, he'd call the guard line over, you know, every single time, and coached him so intensely, and then he knew that a drawback was that he felt like some of the players had bench up, meaning, you know, they were looking over, is this a good shot? Well, obviously at that point, if it's a good shot and you're looking over, you're not going to make it because <laughs> you're not in any flow or any rhythm. And so Quinn Snyder and his staff along with the other organizational people, have decided that Jordan Clarkson, this is what you're going to do, son, so go ahead and do it. And I'm going to back you. He's never, I don't know that he's ever said a critical word. And he's never shown disgust. I mean, Quinn rarely shows disgust towards players. I don't know that you can do that at the pro level. You can get away with it at the college level. At the pro level, an assistant coach, Greg Foster, says something, and some mm-hmm. no-name players yelling at him to shut the F up as he's running back on defense. Right? So the pros, you probably have to treat them well. You definitely have to treat them a little bit differently. So you're just gonna if, if you think Clarkson is out of line sometimes, well, yeah, probably is, but they've decided that they're going to live with that. And, and really, not just him, pretty much everybody. Because Quinn has said, I'd rather have you go 0 for 10 than 1 for 2. And I don't think he just says it to say it. I think he says it because he absolutely means it. Mm-hmm. And he's making a point with what he says. And it's, you know, maybe the point is there rather than the literal 0 for 10. But the point is very strong. So that's who he is. That's who they are. And you know, they've had a lot of success this way. You just got to go with it. I do think for those of you who are listening, and I, I think you're in the minority, well, but I'm sure you are. Those of you who are sure not listening, are, they wouldn't even know. I'm not talking to you is the point. I'm not talking to people who aren't listening. I'm not talking to you. <laughs> PK, that was the you point. You said for those of you who are listening. As opposed to you who's hosting the show. Okay, got it. Not man. as opposed to, you know, Bob, <laughs> who doesn't like basketball and only golfs. It's the only sport he cares about, and he golfs six days a week. Okay. Well, why'd you, well, why'd you just say his full name, Bob Casper? <laughs> <laughs> 
who lives at dot dot dot. There's been a little bit of griping out there in social media, so you can kind of get sure. that there's some yeah, jazz yeah. fans about, man, Clarkson is just, basically right. he's an unrepentant gunner. He's the guy you don't want to play with in a, uh, in a pickup game, because once you throw him the ball, you never get it back. And that's been a little bit of a work in progress, but they got him when they had no bench, and he was the best option, even if it was only a C shot for him, an average or C minus shot for him, it still might be a B plus for the group on the floor. Now that's changed over time. You know, guys like Niang have been improving and getting better, and so that's you know Conley's healthy, and so that makes the bench deeper and all that kind of stuff. Clarkson averages fifteen to sixteen shots a game. A couple times a month, he'll have a game where he takes 20 shots. But his average is in that 15-16 range. Now, during the stretch when Conley and Donovan are out, uh, just in the last half dozen games, he has been averaging, I guess they've both been out for eight, but over the last six games, he's averaging about 21 shots a game. I mean, I think there's definitely, uh, hey, I'm out on the floor with guys who are less experienced and shooting isn't their thing right now. Maybe after 10,000 shots and a lot of video analysis, these guys will be dialed in dead eyes and they'll, you know, we'll be able to trust them completely. But I think right now, when in doubt, it's going up. And his assists have been climbing. He's become a more willing passer. He had a a stretch where he seemed to be averaging about one assist or two assists a game. Uh, And he's gotten that up to where he's four assists a game. And, you know, there are nights where he's, you know, five or eight or whatever. Uh, but I think in this stretch right here, I think there's definitely feel like the way defenses are playing us and given who he's on the floor with most of the time, not all of the time, but most of the time, I think his green light has gotten a brighter shade of green. And he's already had the green light. So it'll be interesting to see I... how much that 21 shots a night gets dialed down, assuming Donovan's back, Conley's back, and we're back in the rotation that we saw for most of this year. The only thing I would disagree with you is with Jordan Clarkson, there's no such phrase, when in doubt. <laughs> well, there's probably something to that. <laughs> probably have to agree with you on that. When in the half court. <laughs> <laughs> One stride across midcourt, I'm looking for a spot. Yeah, yeah. And, and I was critical of him last night. Uh, driving and then getting stuck and throwing up some off-balance shot. But I would wonder what the stats would be on his very move that I'm speaking of that I was critical of last night because he has the ability to dance and keep his pivot foot and put up a hook shot or a fadeaway shot. And it seems to me, man, when he gets deep in there, that – his shooting percentage is probably very high. I'm just going by eyeballing it and watching all the games and watching all the shots that he takes because I actually like it when he does that because he's very creative in being able to get off his shot. I guess I would say if you're down on the block and you've got the biggest dude on the other team standing there and you've already picked up your dribble, you know, maybe at that point look to pass out, make sure that the other guys are moving to get themselves open rather than standing there because they think that Jordan's going to put up the shot. Now, sometimes he has to put up the shot because the guys are standing there and there's one second left on the shot clock, so there's no point in passing the ball. 
because whoever's going to receive it isn't going to get a good shot either way. So you might as well have yourself do it. So there's probably that. So overall, I like it when he puts the ball on the floor because he has the ability to be creative and get the shot. And then it ends up being very close. It's like two feet away. It seems like he shoots a high percentage there. So I would keep encouraging him to do that. And you're going to have to live with a few errant shots. But the philosophy of shoot is going to dictate uh, that you live with a few errant shots as opposed to uh, hesitancy and not shooting good shots. That's I would rather have a few bad shots than hesitancy and taking good shots. Because once you have any form of hesitancy in basketball, it's over. It's, it's probably not going to go in, man. You've got to believe it's going to go in before you're even attempting the shooting motion. Either the ball is coming your way via the bounce or a, a pass on a direct line, or you're dribbling the ball. And if you have that mindset with these guys, that's how they've won the 50 games. So no point in changing now. It's gotten them to a high, high level. Continue it. All right, question of the day, part two. The Warriors beat the Jazz again at home. Since they could meet up in the playoffs as the one and eight seed, I suppose possibly they could meet up as a two and seven also. What is your level of concern? And we've got Jazz fans all over the map on this one, and we will get to that next. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Chris Mannix, how hard is it for these great athletes to come back from injury and go straight into the playoffs, which might be the case with Donovan? I don't know what his timetable is, but if it means he might have to miss a playoff game to get all the way back, you make sure that he's all the way back. We just saw with LeBron, who had a nasty ankle sprain of his own, he probably came back too soon, and it wound up costing him a week, and that's the last thing you need if you're the Jazz. You've got to be very patient with Donovan Mitchell. Look, this is the benefit of being the number one seed. Presumably, you're going to get an opportunity to play somebody you should be able to handle without Donovan Mitchell for a game or maybe two. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. The Davis Vision Spring LASIK sale is going on now. Get rid of those contacts and glasses and save $1,000. Start your road to better vision at Davis Vision. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call them today at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. So the Utah Jazz lose to the Warriors. They lose two out of three to the Warriors. The home team won every game in the regular season meetings. Since they could meet up again in the playoffs, what is your level of concern? Tim says, that's that's another example of why home court throughout is so important for this team. No Spider, no Conley, 18-point deficit, and it still took a Steph winner from three. I am not concerned in a seven-game series at all. Tim. At all. Huh? At all. You love definitive. That's definitive. Okay. I think uh, I think Jazz fans should be a little concerned. I don't think they should be a lot concerned. I think the Jazz go in as heavy favorites against the Warriors. But they don't go in as a total lock. So you want to have some level of concern, especially, you know, when you go to the health angle, which, you know, if the Jazz aren't healthy, they can they could probably absorb an injury, absorbing two with guys who have a similar role. That, that's always going to be a problem. So you should be going concerned about an injury, certainly. And you should go in concerned that Steph Curry will be otherworldly. I don't think he'll do that to him four times in a game. I think that even if he goes off, they have the firepower to occasionally beat the Warriors by outscoring him. I wouldn't want to try to outscore him four times. Uh, but I also don't think 
that Steph's going to have that many games. If Steph could carry a team like that consistently, they wouldn't be battling for the eighth seed right now. You know, there, there are limits on what any one player can do in a team game, even someone as good as Steph Curry. You want to argue with anybody. that? I can feel it. I can feel it. <laughs> no, I wasn't listening, so oh, I was formulating my point. <laughs> you had the whole break for that. <clears throat> I don't think anybody is a lock in any playoff series in, in the, the West. West. In the West. I'd agree. There are some locks in the East in the first round, maybe one in the second round, but not in the West. The West is too competitive. Right. So I have a level of concern. When you have a player of the caliber of Curry, those guys don't come around very often. (laughs) They don't. And not only is he obviously individually great, but I think he takes the pressure off other guys. And so the role players can be better than they would be individually because of Curry and the attention that he demands. And not only does he demand attention from you on defense – but if it affects your offense, too, because you constantly have to be aware. All these perimeter guys, whether O'Neal's – forget O'Neal on offense. I mean, you just can't ask him to do everything here. And you have to chase Curry, uh, who is so difficult. But it's not just him, because if you're switching out front and whatnot, it's going to be the other perimeter guys, too. So they're taking so much energy to make sure that he's – contained to a degree and I thought they did a pretty good job of containing him and he's still at 36 and so you you look at an Ingles he doesn't have a good game offensively at least shooting Uh, but he's got to make sure that he's running around with Curry and then these other guys if they should get hot just adds to the dimension and that's what they had with a couple of other guys for the uh, Warriors who managed to be effective so now you're asking a lot. So I don't want to build them up to be the 32 Yankees here, but still. The what, huh? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Maris, Ruth, DiMaggio, those guys, Barra, Mantle. They had a good team back then. Look it up. Joe Pepitone. <laughs> and so Pepitone. with, with, the, with random them in names. You didn't grow up Italian in uh No, I didn't and I was just it was just <laughs> off the age group. Like dad could tell me all about him and I heard the name but I didn't see him play. But I know that he was uh, that's a guy who would have gone viral if such a thing existed back then. He would yeah. it would have been unbelievable. Any Italian who played for the Yankees was very very much in favor with my grandmother Carmelo Pasello Ciamillo. Uh, so <laughs> That uh, Joe Pevitone was the name that I grew up with. Uh, I don't ever remember seeing him play, too, but I've, I've heard the name a million times over. Uh, but it requires a lot of effort, so I don't want to build these guys up to be unbeatable. But, yeah, I have a case of the nerves. Because I don't know that the number eight seeds who've upset one, and we, we said there was three here. In the in West. In the West, yeah. And uh, I can't really remember the makeup of those teams, but did any of those teams have a player of the caliber of Curry? I'll have to go back and check. I don't know. Well, the Denver Nuggets against the Sonics, uh, no. 
No. I, I mean, first off, did anyone have a player of the caliber of Curry? How many guys are we talking about? Right, right, I mean, right. Exactly. The guy's got multiple championships, MVP. I mean. So why? how could you possibly yeah. say you have zero worries? You can't. It doesn't, I don't, doesn't make I don't any sense to me. I don't think that there's a team. You know, when the Jazz went to the finals the second time, they got the Clippers in the first round, and it was a year that there were seven good teams. They and, sucked, and right? And they were they the were one that got the Yeah, they were an under 500 team, and there was zero chance. And the Jazz won three games yeah. by 20. And one of them, I distinctly remember this because it was hilarious. Because usually everybody's on the same page and really careful what they said publicly. And Sloan got mad after the game because the Jazz were uh, jackpotting around. You know, I think they were up by five or something late in the third quarter. And then they blew the Clippers off the floor. And Jerry was, rawr, 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 you know, trying to set a higher bar for the next game, right? And so his post game, and then he go in the locker in a horn and say, Jerry said, running. And Jeff just looks up calmly. I don't know what he's worked up about. We won by 20. <laughs> you didn't usually get that kind of honesty spilling over to the media. And that's not going to happen this time because there isn't a team like that. There isn't a team that's that, that far down. Right, right, exactly. So you factor that in there, and I don't even know that they're going to play them. But uh, I would have a, a level of concern. But my concern is far more about the Jazz than the opponent. Isn't it number one getting healthy? I mean, this has been going on a long time now. And with Conley's hamstrings, I just don't think you can be surprised anymore. You know, it's, it's been an issue for on and off for two years. It's just going to be an issue on and off for the rest of his career. You know, he's a free agent. I don't, I, I think he'll be back with Utah, but I don't know anything for sure. But regardless where he is next year, whoever it is, and if it's the Jazz, I think we, we know it'll be like this. He shouldn't be playing back-to-backs, right? This just keeps popping up. It's an ongoing issue. He's in his 30s. He's a smaller guy. You know, when he's healthy, he can beat people off the dribble. He can get into the break the paint, as Quinn likes to say, and do a lot of things. You just got to do what you can to keep him healthy and accept that he's going to be a you know, 60-game player, give or take a few games. You know, it's, that's the way it's going to be. So if you want to worry about his health all the way through the playoffs, I, I don't blame you. Hopefully he can stay healthy for two months because when he's been healthy, he's obviously contributed, you know, and he's had really good games. But you, you want to stress about that. Knock yourself out. Stress away. You know, with Donovan in the ankle, it's been a long time now. I mean, we're three we're, weeks. Yeah, and it, it looks like right. It looks like it's basically going to be a month, and maybe they'll well, play him in a, a game or two here at the end of the season. But I it's going to it's going to be more than a month if it's the first playoff game, right? Five weeks. Yeah. Great. That's good news. It's not bad news. It's good news. As long as he comes back healthy. Yeah. If he's still limping around on it because he's, you know, hurt it a couple times trying to rehab it and it's never quite gotten right. Uh, you know, he was he was on TV last night, but uh, that didn't get addressed. You know, and I, in that situation, I don't know if someone told me they were healthy, if I'd believe them anyway. So, you know, what what are they going to say that's really going to change yeah, your mind? You, you say, yeah, now that you say that, uh, I didn't think of it at the moment, but that would have been an appropriate question. You know, what's your health status uh, as far as coming back for the first game of the playoffs, because that's still uh, almost two weeks away, just a little under. Yeah, it's uh, it's a kind of question that I want to know the answer to, but when they tell me, I don't know that I believe it. Um, yeah, but and, I want to hear it. I, well, there is that, but you know, because Andre Kirilenko did, it and everybody rolled their eyes. So I don't know, and I'm going to roll my eyes at Donovan. You know, so, I'm hurt, but I'll be back. 
a week from uh, Friday, you I know, or whatever. I would still like to have heard what he said. Yeah. And actually... Gauge the tone of his voice and the confidence level he says it with, that kind of thing. I'm surprised that I did not think of that during that time. Oh, I was sitting there the whole time thinking they're not going to ask him. I know. And you're right. (laughs) And I should have. It's not going to... I should have thought that that would have made any difference... Of what you think sitting in your, in your well, man cave. Whether, whether they asked him the question or not. But in retrospect, they should have asked him the question, unless they were told not, not to. to. Right. I, I don't know that. It's a jazz broadcast, obviously. Uh, but, yeah, I would have liked that question to be asked. I didn't think of it at the time. And I'm surprised at myself for not thinking about but that. But would you have bought the answer or would you fi- I don't know. Fi- I, can't, I don't know. I don't know what the answer would have been. Yeah. Because I, I was sitting there thinking, absurd. if I get the answer, I'm probably going to file it next to Kirilenko. Like, how can you really know when you're going to be healthy? Especially because part of that is, I assume he's been out so long, now they're going to have him play two-on-two or three-on-three or something to kind of, you know, get back into it. They, they, send, they seem to take these comebacks and real baby steps trying to be careful. Um, and even so, guys get re-hurt. It just... It happens, you know, and you can be playing two on two or three on three and land on somebody's foot and roll it again, you know. He's been out a long time. I assume there's been some kind of setback along the way, but I don't have any knowledge or details, but this just seems like a long time with an, with an ankle injury. But if he's back for the playoffs, I mean, they've been winning, so that kind of takes the pressure off, doesn't it? Don't you, aren't you more cautious? I mean, they're six and two without both of these guys. I mean, deep yeah, down, yeah, we, did, yeah. we didn't have anybody coming on the air sending us open mics saying, I bet they go 6-2 and two without these two guys. There was hope, but there were no guarantees. And some of these wins, I mean, that, that Toronto win, now you don't really think about it, but man, at the time, they really had to grind that thing out. That could have gone the other way. You know, probably a couple other games in this. Well, the San Antonio games couldn't have gone the other way. Those are pretty definitive. All right, DJ and PK, we got more coming up. 9 o'clock hour, Andy Bailey, NBA analyst for Bleacher Report, is going to join us next. We'll talk with him and get you caught up on everything in this show. Stay with us. 9 o'clock hour on the way. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. DJ PK, brought to you in part by The Warehouse. Join the big show Friday at The Warehouse from 2 to 7. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Boom! Time now to welcome back Andy Bailey, NBA analyst for Bleacher Report. He's joined us many times before. He joins us now. We have many questions. Andy, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? Uh, We're good. We're good. We are intrigued by the final three regular season games and everything that is in stake, and then the potential playoff matchups, of which there are still too many to consider. But right out of the gate, I am curious, uh, are you with us in that the first-round matchup is probably going to be very difficult for the Jazz, unless the San Antonio Spurs average 146 points per night from here until the start of the playoffs and become the eight seed, because the Jazz seem to have the Spurs number pretty good. But whether it's the Blazers, the Lakers, the Warriors, don't sleep on the Grizzlies, that is going to be a difficult first-round matchup. There's no walk in the park there. Yeah, there's probably no walk in the park. Um, You know, the West is deep and that's you know obviously not new that's kind of been the case for 20 25 years now um so just getting the number one seed isn't you know you don't have a cakewalk to the second round i i'm not as worried about the warriors as some other people might be um if utah has conley and mitchell i think that's a a very uphill battle for the warriors i mean you obviously can't count out Stephen curry who could go for you know 40 50 points on any given night um 
but the the supporting cast for that team, I think, really falls off a cliff after Draymond, after their top two guys. I mean, they'll they'll get random solid performances from Kent Bazemore. He's had a nice season. I think Wiggins has been better this season. Um, but if if everybody's fully healthy, and I guess that's not a given for Utah, um, I, I do think Utah's a pretty clear favorite there. The other teams you mentioned, Portland and and L.A. are obviously going to be problematic. I, I think the Jazz would be a fairly comfortable favorite over Portland too. But Damian Lillard is dangerous, not not quite like Stephen Curry, but obviously can go off. And I like their supporting cast a little bit better than Golden State's. And I, I don't think we need to spend too much time on the Lakers if that winds up being the first round matchup for the Jazz. I mean, that's that's sort of the doomsday scenario. I do think they can beat a fully healthy Lakers squad. Um, but they they might not even be favored in that series. So do you feel like it's going to be the Warriors at eight and the Lakers at seven? What are your thoughts there? Well, like you said, it's it's almost impossible to gauge where everybody's going to land right now. And I've I've kind of stayed out of that realm for pretty much the whole time I've covered the NBA because so much can happen on a night-to-night basis. I mean, it looked like the Jazz were were a shoe-in for the number one seed before last night's loss. And they're still, I, I just looked at this this morning, I think even with that loss, they're like a 90% chance to stay at number one. Um, but the added wrinkle this season is that there's the play-in tournament too. So we've got all the different machinations that are going to happen over the next three or four days, plus things can shake up again in the play-in tournament. So I think if you're the Jazz, um, you probably have to kind of look at all those teams that you just mentioned. Um, you know, and it's it's maybe impossible to dive in in terms of preparation on each and every one of them. Um, but in the back of your head, there's there's the, the possibility that you could play any of those teams. The Spurs would obviously, if, if they fell into number eight and the Jazz stayed at one, I think, like you said, that'd probably be the the big jackpot uh, for the jazz. I think they'd handle that series pretty well. And I think they're in decent shape against Memphis and probably golden state. Um, But there are just so many different ways that it could go over the next few days. And this, this is kind of a a tangent at this point, but I I think this is part of what has made the play in tournament, such a good call by the NBA. Um, The level of excitement around the league right now um, is just, off the charts uh, with all these different possibilities and fewer teams tanking and a bunch of teams trying to get into the playoffs. Um, I just think there's so much intrigue right now, and it's, it's going to be really fun to pay attention to this last week. We're joined right now by Andy Bailey, NBA analyst for Bleacher Report. So I'm curious as you watch the Jazz, and nobody really, only they know for sure, and I wonder even how much information they wish they had that they don't have yet, but I got to admit, I'm a little concerned by how long Donovan's been out. Uh, is there any concern with you that, hey, he could be back for the playoffs and he's out five weeks, scrape the rust off for the first round, but he'll he'll be in the flow pretty well and playing at a high level and I'm just up chasing ghosts? Or uh, more people should be concerned about how long he's been out? I, th- I think it's probably fair to have at least some concern. Um it's not easy to knock off the rust in a game or two. Like you mentioned, I, I, you know, it can take time to get back up to game speed. You can try to simulate um, the conditioning as much as you can, but there's, I think there's always a difference between game action and running on a treadmill or, you know, playing five on five pickup or in practice or whatever the case may be. Um, I think there's, 
it's it's encouraging to know that it's a grade one sprain and not something worse. And that makes me think that, you know, maybe they're just being abundantly cautious with him so that he will be full strength and, and maybe won't be feeling any sort of pain um, when he jumps back on the floor. So that's, it, it's kind of a fine line to walk. I think it's fair to have concern, but it, it could also be a lot worse. I, I do think there's maybe even more concern for Mike Conley because the hamstring thing um, that has crept up on multiple occasions during his two seasons with the jazz. And it's, you know, it, it seems like one of those injuries that you can randomly tweak here or there and, and maybe doesn't fully go away unless you have an off season to rest it. Um, and I think, you know, there are certain series where Utah's probably going to need both of those guys. Um, they, when they're both healthy, they're one of the better backcourts in the league. Um, and that certainly helps them match up better with a team like Portland. Um, it makes defense a little tougher on the Lakers, obviously, so you want both of those guys healthy. Um, I, I think I'd have slightly more concern on Conley, um, just to be honest. And he's up there in age, too. Um, you know, not to throw that at him, but it's it's a concern when you're a professional athlete. So there's there's certainly some worry there. Um, but I, I get the sense that Utah is just being super cautious with both of those guys. Rank your favorites one through five in the West. Ooh, assuming, yeah, assuming, I like ass, it. <laughs> assuming there's health. Yeah, that's tough. I, if, if I assume full health, um, regardless of where the Lakers land, I would probably put them first. Um, it, the, the chemistry between LeBron and AD and the way the rest of those guys play defense, um, I think they still have a very, very – high ceiling um so i would probably go with them first i'm tempted to say clippers second but i you know i can't quite shake the the mental stuff with them that was clearly on display in the last postseason um and they may have exercised some of that in the off season but i (laughs) i'm gonna cheat and well i i want to cheat and do tears but i'm actually gonna put utah second um then I would put the Clippers third, Suns fourth, and probably Dallas fifth. Um, you know, Denver has the basically the presumptive MVP at this point, but as soon as they lost Jamal Murray, I kind of had to knock them out of the legitimate title contender tier. Um, so I feel fairly confident going, I think I said Lakers, Jazz, Clippers, Suns, Mavericks. It's a pretty good list right there, Andy. Of course, the problem with that list is it assumes complete health. Those were the guidelines you were given. Yeah. And there's too many injured guys now for me to think we're going to see a completely healthy playoff. So although that list yeah, is great, I don't think that list is very linked to reality because there are going to be injuries. There, there are going to be injuries um, for sure. And I, and I know that the league came out, and I think it was through an ESPN story, and said that they haven't seen any more injuries this season uh, statistically than they do typically and maybe maybe it just felt like more because there were so many high profile guys that went down and it seems like they all went down at the same time um but it it does seem like with the condensed schedule um you know and the the health and safety protocols and all the you know unique things about this season i would be pretty surprised if you know everybody is back to full strength for the playoffs and stays that way um and and that's not really exclusive to this season either. I mean, there are always injuries that that pop up in the playoffs. I mean, a lot of the Golden State Warriors 
doubters will still point to all the injuries that happened in their path in the 2014-15 title. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there, there will certainly be health problems for some teams. For Jazz fans who are listening to this show, um, you know, maybe they can take some solace in the fact that I think Utah is probably one of the deeper teams of those five that I named. Um, you know, they've they've obviously played pretty well with Conley and Mitchell both out here. Recently, they lost that game on the road last night, but the fact that Bogdanovich kind of looks like his old self, maybe even better than his old self during this stretch, and, um, you know, Ingles is obviously very comfortable running the offense, and there are guys who can step up and, and provide a little bit more in the absence of one or two of the stars. I mean, I think the the apocalypse for Utah is if Rudy Gobert goes down, and Derek Favors is maybe the best backup center in the league, but he's not the defensive player of the year and an all-NBA caliber player. So injuries could impact a bunch of teams, but if there there are squads that are kind of set up to withstand it, Utah might be one of those. Andy Bailey joining us, NBA analyst for Bleacher Report. So I'm curious as you watch this, uh, as you watch this play out, now that you have assuming health, now assume the injuries you assume and tweak your playoff list. Ooh. <laughs> Okay, so I, I'll, I'll go back to what I said earlier, and I do think that Utah's just being really cautious with Conley and Mitchell. Um, and, you know, I, there, there's like a subconscious element in me that thinks it's, it's really hard to pick teams that haven't done it before. Um, but the numbers side of me says that Utah's numbers are just overwhelming. Um, statistically, they are a dominant, dominant team. Um, and so if I, if I plug into the objective side of my brain, I'd probably have to go with Utah there. I just, you know, <laughs> the way that they shoot the three and the way that they defend, I think they're just so well crafted as a roster. Um, you know, and they could go cold for two or three games in a series, but I don't think they'll go cold for four. Um, so I think, I think with the amount of firepower they have and the depth that they have, I would actually probably put them first. Um, Lakers probably second still um, because, you know, I, I think they're probably being fairly cautious too, but at the same time, um, I think you've got to start to wonder about LeBron's ankle a little bit. And, and Anthony Davis certainly has a history of getting nicked up here and there. Um, and they're, they're one injury. I don't think they're as deep as Utah. So they're one injury away from, you know, possible catastrophe. Uh, after that, I'd probably go Clippers still and then Suns and Mavs. So maybe all I did there was just flip the Jazz and the Lakers. What is the Jazz kryptonite? Is it just going cold collectively as a team? Yeah, I think that's possible. Um, and it's it's really hard to quantify this, but I do think there is an element to, you know, the guys that have been there and done this before. And it's, you know, nothing is going to surprise Kawhi Leonard in the playoffs. Um, and I, you know, I maybe could have said that last year and then they got surprised by the nuggets. So <laughs> that maybe, maybe nothing's off the table, but you know, LeBron and AD have been all the way through all of this. Um, you know, Chris Paul obviously hasn't made it to the finals, but he's, but he has a ton of playoff experience. Um, you know, I, I think experience probably is a bigger bugaboo for them, uh, the songs than it is for the jazz. But, you know, I, I think you identified maybe the biggest thing. They just go on a crazy cold streak for four out of seven games, um, and that's obviously a big problem for them. But then experience is, is trouble, too. And 
I, I would put that further down on the list. Um, just because Conley's been through a ton of playoff battles. Gobert has now been pretty well playoff tested. Uh, Donovan Mitchell last season did stuff in the playoffs that didn't seem possible <laughs> with multiple 50 point games in a single series. So I think he's ready for the playoffs. Um, so, you know, again, this is sort of like the, the subconscious or subjective take versus the objective take. Um, cause again, it, it's hard to measure, you know, this, this is what this amount of experience does for you in the playoffs. Um, but yeah, I would say probably some combination of those two things, just going really cold and, and maybe not getting real deep into the playoffs as a unit yet. What about the theory that the Jazz are vulnerable to a team with long athletic wings? They switch a lot. Maybe they switch everything. They're going to get a lot of deflections, and they're going to turn them into fast breaks. I think that's fair. Um, and, I, you know, a lot of people have pointed out that there's going to be a lot asked of Royce O'Neal against teams like that. You know, like the, I, you're probably alluding at least in part to the Clippers. Um and, and there certainly will be. I think a lot of the people that are sort of pounding that drum are underestimating Joe Ingles as a defender. Um, you know, he can stay in front of those wings, I think, better than people realize. And, um, you know, he's he's become so savvy as a pick-and-roll ball handler, too. And, you know, obviously being defended by Kawhi or Paul George or, you know, playoff LeBron, that's no picnic. Um, but Joe Ingles has been through a lot of battles, too. So, I think they they have some decent counters for that. I'm a little worried about the lack of size in the backcourt with Conley and Mitchell. I, I think that could be a problem against teams like that. Um, but I I just can't help but keep going back to the numbers and how just absurd this Jazz team is as a shooting team um, and just think that, you know, they, they may have two or three games like that, but they're also going to have games where they make – you know, 19 threes and shoot 45% from three. And, and how do some of those teams keep up with that? Um, so it's, I, I think they just have good counters for, for basically everything. This goes back again to what I was saying, that this team is just, it's built so well and so balanced. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if Utah got beat by, you know, any of the teams that we've been talking about here, just because the West is so good. Um, but they really have built a roster that can kind of counter anything at this point. Well, Andy, we appreciate a few minutes. As always, we look forward to talking to you in the postseason. All right. Thanks, guys. Andy Bailey, NBA analyst for Bleacher Report. Join us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Coming up next, everything you missed on this show. How worried are Jazz fans about facing the Warriors in the playoffs? And great rally or horrific loss? We'll get to that next. Stay with us. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Biggest issue was Clarkson, 17 shot attempts, zero assists in the first half. I'm sure Quinn talked to him about it because he changed that in the second half, but that's terrible. Time to catch up on everything you missed in this show. 
41 points for Clarkson, zero assists. How could that happen? Somebody found a list. Of course, there's a list for all this stuff, right, PK? I mean, it's not baseball in the Elias Sports Bureau, but there's still a lot of lists. The highest scoring games with zero assists. And, of course, it's Will Chamberlain. For the top seven of Will Chamberlain with a Carmelo and a Kobe. But, you know, it's a really weird stat. You throw somebody a great pass and they miss a shot, you don't get the assist. Clarkson did that late in the game. Hit Bogey up the sideline, 45-foot pass. Bogey just missed an open three. You hit someone with a great pass, they get fouled. They go to the line and hit two free throws. You don't get an assist. Once a foul happens, the assist just evaporates. It goes, it's done. Not happening, even though you threw a great pass. So it's a weird stat. I know it's a stat we love because Stockton's got the all-time assist record, but it's still a weird stat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's a weird stat. It's a weird stat. All right, other things you want to catch people up on. Clarkson giveth, Clarkson taketh away. It's the kind of deal you make. You don't get the 41-point outburst in the incredible final eight minutes without letting him miss eight straight three-pointers. If you tell him to stop shooting at some point, you never know when he's going to catch fire, judging by that last answer. Even he doesn't know when he's going to catch fire. He thought he missed his high-percentage shots and made his low-percentage shots, but that's the way it goes sometimes, and you're just going to have to deal with it. Well, those are the percentages you see, and sometimes they're going to go in, and then other times percentages are going to dictate that they don't go in. If you're playing the percentages, you know, the percentages will be what they are. You understand? I think I do, yes. Because uh, I don't. <laughs> I think you do. I think you're messing around. <laughs> <laughs> There's no point in debating Clarkson. At this point, the evidence is overwhelming. This is who he is. And from the Jazz fan perspective, you just have to hope that He's taking a shot that is good for him. A good, and that's the thing about it. A shot that is good for player A may not be good for player B, obviously. And so for him, he's going to take those shots. So you can complain about him doing this or not doing that. It's really a waste of time because his game isn't going to change. From the Jazz fan perspective, you have to hope that he's taking a shot that he's extremely comfortable with, and then obviously it has to go in the basket because a great shot that doesn't drop, well, it's the same thing as a bad shot that doesn't drop, really. (laughs) The result is, anyway... The percentages would dictate the better the shot, the better the chance to have to go in. But if it doesn't go in, it's the results are the exact same. And then at that point, you hope you get the offensive rebound or get back on defense. And so this is his game, and he's going to be electric, and other times he's going to leave you scratching your head. But it's not going to change. It really, this is his reality. And so sit back, and it's inevitable, and hope for the best, basically. And it's really weird because in a single game, he had the best of times and the worst of times. (laughs) Now, the worst of times came first, and I'm exaggerating, but the best of times, man, were really awesome. (laughs) It was unbelievable watching him just charge up court and thinking, how's he going to score this time? Because he's going to. And he did again and again. Yeah, it's fun. That's the thing about this team. I don't know how it's going to end. But i got to say, I've had, and we have to watch the games, and I don't want to make it sound like it's a chore because it's not under any stretch. This is a phenomenal job, and I'm grateful for every day that we have it and get to do it with you. There's no doubt about that. Uh, But I have to say that this year, this season, is a lot more fun compared to other seasons because of the way they play. And even, obviously, they lost last night, but still – it was a fun game to watch. I didn't know when when they got that lead. I didn't think, oh, it's over. Cause 
I knew they got Steph Curry on the other side there. But it has been more fun, no matter what happens in the postseason, to watch them play this season. I think that's all true. I think that uh, the NBA's rule changes and the way the game has morphed, I think the NBA is as much fun now as it's been. Probably had a little more star power uh, late 80s, early 90s, but I think there's more quality players now. You know, some of the star power, the celebrity stuff comes from the drama. And I don't want to say the league's drama-free now because it's not. But it certainly seems like some of the negative drama that has hit the NBA and pro sports in general, um, they've kind of minimized that right now. And it's still out there. You know, and we still find stories, I'm sure. Uh, but I think there's more talented players playing a more entertaining style right now. It's not just a jazz. Not just a jazz thing. No. But I the really Jazz are kind of at the forefront of it because of the way they're launching threes and hitting them. Yeah, it's a fun brand to watch. At least it is for me. I enjoy yeah. it. All right, so Jazz fans uh, seem pretty universally okay with the loss. They hate what it's done to as far as putting the number one seed in jeopardy, but there's a lot of perspective that, well, it happened without uh, two key players, and they've really been... Pretty good. Not perfect, but they've been pretty good through this run without these two guys. Now 6-2 and two, uh, since Mike Conley joined Donovan Mitchell over on the bench. Uh, but that's still a pretty good run. And people also don't seem to be that worried about facing the Warriors in the playoffs. There's respect for Curry. Everybody acknowledges he's dangerous. But if the Jazz are healthy, most people think the Jazz are going to advance in 5 or 6. And ironically, I think that's the breaking point for most series. It doesn't really matter to me that much whether you're done in four or five. I mean, there's an argument that, hey, why play the fifth game? Because somebody might get hurt playing it. Yeah, and then that's too much downtime. We've heard all the stuff about these guys are peak performers and too much time off is a problem also. And so you can have, if you win in four, depending on how it's scheduled, you can easily have four or five days off. You might have a week. So that's not great. I think when you get to six or seven, though, now the next series, it's a real quick turnaround. That's a longer series than you want. If you get out of it in five, I got no complaints. If you're up 3-0, 3-1, you're going to have to play that fourth or fifth game. Thanks, Coach. There's no sense uh, worrying about it (laughs) or debating it because you're just going to have to do it. Uh, You're a beauty. (laughs) (laughs) Going to have to play that fourth game. No kidding. Unbelievable. Well, there's no sense debating it, though. Why debate it? Why were you debating? You were debating with yourself. You got any uh, games tonight you're up for with the uh, the Nuggets and the Clippers and the Suns and the Mavericks playing? A lot of Western. The Lakers are playing. You liking any more of these any yeah. more than the rest? Or well, hating the last, any more of these? The last two you just mentioned. It is the Suns. I'm going to be Suns and Warriors in tune into that game. There's no question about it. And LeBron comes back. And he's the he's looming. LeBron is looming. I mean, it's just no doubt about it, you know. And that game, New York and Lakers, of course, it's going to be on TNT. No Shocking doubt about it. Uh, but at the same time, it's going to be Phoenix and Golden State. It's the same time. So uh, maybe I don't know. Is, is NBA TV are they allowed to show cut-ins when it's on TNT? There's some rules there that I I just don't understand what they're doing. 
Uh, but I'm going to be monitoring both of those games. The rest of the games, uh, they're games. Nuggets ought to take the Hornets out, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't really care if they do or they don't. Clippers should handle the Raptors. It has no bearing on anything uh, from the Jazz perspective right now anyway. So uh, I'll be watching those games. and Yeah, these are, these are big. Uh, the Phoenix-Golden State game is huge. Suns five-point favorites over the Warriors tonight. Lakers four and a half over the Knicks. Both those games tipping off at 8 o'clock. Uh, we did talk briefly. It's the East, so we're not as dialed into it. But the Celtics, their weird year, bad year, and it just feels like they've underperformed. They're bouncing around the 500 mark. And now Jalen Brown, torn ligament in his left wrist. He needs surgery. He's done for the year. Almost 25 points a game, almost 49% shooting. That's a huge loss for the Celtics. And their, uh, their disappointing year just gets more disappointing. Well, yeah, I mean, Jerry Steesing is not walking through that door. There it is. Spurs beat the Bucks 146-125. The Bucks had their guys. The Spurs had seven guys in double figures. Had a couple guys come off the bench with massive nights. Patty Mills and Rudy Gay really shot the ball well. And so the Spurs, can they do the Jazz a favor down the stretch and beat the Suns? They play them uh, twice to end the season. You trust the Spurs? I do if there's incentive. If there's not incentive, then that takes it away, obviously. So, yes, I think that the Spurs, I think both those ball games are in San Antonio. They are. And right. so I would look for a split would be the most logical way to go, as long as they have some incentive. The and problem, Popovich yeah. hasn't taken off to get a haircut. The problem with the incentive, nice. The problem with the incentive is the Spurs are two and a half up on the Pelicans. And they are two behind the Grizzlies, so you get to the end of the year, and they may not feel like there's really all that much at stake. I know. So I'll just have to see how that shakes out in the coming days. And then the Suns have to figure out, you know, how comfortable are they at number two? Because I was listening to the radio yesterday at the gym, and, you know, they're talking. Because yesterday it looked like the Jazz were a shoe-in to get the number one seed. And so with that in mind, they were looking at the uh, the Suns being slotted at number two. So there was a lot of conversation. Should they start resting? And obviously the top guy is Chris Paul. So, you know, what are the Suns going to do? My guess is if they're in play for the one seed, Paul isn't resting. Maybe this is the year that it doesn't matter. And maybe he goes through the regular season and the postseason healthy. He's been that way so far. Uh, I don't know if he'll be able to continue it. So it's great to see with three games that it isn't just playing out the string. Agree with that. For the Suns, it's uh, four games in six days and three and four to end the season. Like the Jazz, they play three of the four, last four on the road. Like the Jazz, Portland's their only home game. They are playing Golden State and Portland on the second night of back-to-backs after the Jazz played them on the first night of back-to-backs. So did the Jazz soften up the Warriors, or is Steph Curry about to go 8 for 11 from 3? Because he didn't last night. Well, the Warriors are being at home, so at least that's good as far as the back-to-back. You didn't have to get on a plane and arrive in some city at 2 or 3 in the morning. Uh, You could have uh, just gone to bed, for an NBA player anyway, at a normal hour. Uh, And they got, got a lot of young guys. Steph isn't young, and Draymond isn't really young. 
but the other guys are. So the point I'm making is they should be able to bring some level of energy. And why wouldn't you want to knock off the number one and two seeds in consecutive games one week before the postseason starts? Of course you would. Other stuff we've talked about uh, today's show as uh, as we've uh, wound through all of this. Uh, do you care at all about Tebow coming back? I mean, my gosh, it's getting a lot of run because celebrity sells. <laughs> or is it just too big a drama for you? Guy's been out of the league nine years, and now he's going to play a position he hasn't played? What are we doing here? I guess I'm tipping my hand how I feel about this. What are we doing here? Well, he's got the size. Yes. And, you know, he's a big kid. And if he made this now. move six or seven years ago, it would have made more sense. I know, but he didn't. It, he played didn't baseball. Have, how do you know. know somebody? Gabe would have given him an opportunity. And well, Urban, Urban's back. So Urban is a national figure, and then he is also a local figure. So we have that great combination. Thankful for Urban. Urban has put money in our pockets. So, uh, in, a, in, a, in a sense, I'm, I'm grateful for Urban because he is a he's a dynamic figure. You can even say lightning rod uh, to what he's done so far and he just is a newsmaker uh, you know he's right as far as a coach he's right there with any coach in the history of football pro or college who's a newsmaker I don't, I don't know that there's anybody bigger there's guys in his league and on his line but I don't know that there's anybody bigger and I don't know that there's really been anybody to this level do this and so it's going to be fascinating and to his credit he doesn't go to a high profile team he probably goes to the lowest profile he really did he's not phil jackson here there's a strong (laughs) argument that he did go to team 32 and phil left the bulls and he went to the lakers (laughs) there's a strong argument they were team one i mean it was shaq and kobe and when is magic's legacy getting revived well they were team one in talent they just needed somebody to refine it and hone it right yeah. And obviously in publicity and attraction and sexiness and all that stuff. But who's uh, more jacked up than the Jaguars? Yeah. I yeah, mean, for a exactly. long time, Arizona was, but not anymore. Arizona's okay. at least mediocre. Admittedly, yeah. 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 Houston's Agreed. gotten jacked up. Uh, certainly this offseason has been just pretty much as messy as an offseason can be. But before that, they got a string of playoff appearances. I mean, right. the Jaguars are working on – I mean, they've had some good times there, but what do they work on, at least five years, maybe ten of – Irrelevance. Right. Detroit. So, I guess the Detroit Lions. I mean, when, you, when you've only won one playoff game since 1957, that, that's saying something. And now they're, they're more than 25 years past that one playoff win. Right, but they're in a much, much bigger market. They are in a bigger market, and they have had 500 teams, and Stafford has yeah. been a good quarterback. Not a great one, but he's been a good one. Yeah. And when I think of the Lions, I think of Mary Stars and, yeah. retiring before they should have. <laughs> yeah, Megatron and Barry Sanders, right? Yeah, yeah, to the level of the talent anyway. But uh, Urban's a newsmaker, Tebow. And I saw yesterday, you know, anytime any if a white guy gets picked up, uh, the advocates and the Crusaders go right to Colin Kaepernick. And so they revive that. Kaepernick can be 52, and some backup quarterback's going to be signed, and someone's going to bring what that up. What about Cap? Yeah, hey, George Blanda did it at 47. <laughs> Brady so did that, it at 44. That's a story. Plus, Tebow's a story. You combine Tebow and Urban and, and Tebow making that pledge when they lost the – I don't even remember who they lost to. Yeah. And 
Urban doing his thing and all that. So, of course, it's a national story. I wish Tebow well. Uh, Tebow, to me, seems like a Jimmer. He's the football version of Jimmer. And I know he won a playoff game with the Nuggets, the uh, Broncos. Uh, I don't know how he did it, but I know he did it. <laughs> it was a miracle. <laughs> but he did it. But a great, great college, a great college guy and someone who seems like a really good dude and didn't have the success at the pro level. And every time Jimmer took a shot in the NBA, when he took those 37 shots in four minutes with the Suns a couple years ago, oh, I rooted man. for every one of them to go in. Now, none of them did, but I rooted for every one of them. The same type of Tebow line. Salt Lake Bees won their first game. They were up 8-2. They gave up 6 in the ninth. Fell behind 1 in the 10th, but they scored twice in the bottom of the 10th. 1 on a home run. Picked up their first W. You want to go to the Bees? What uh, what game is this for, Yach? Tonight. Tonight. You want to go see the Bees tonight? The weather's supposed to be warmer tonight than it was last night. Correct. We're picking up a little steam here getting into the week here. Yep, supposed we got to warm a four-pack of tickets. Right now, 855-340-ZONE. Who wants to go to a Bees game tonight? 855 855- Three four zero zone caller number twelve gets a four pack of tickets to see the bees. It's the bees and the aces. First pitch is at six thirty. You can get your tickets at slbs.com or listen to the action right here on the Zone Sports Network. And it's all over, almost here. Don't go nowhere. All right, it's time for your feedback. You've been tweeting at us all morning long, PK. The Jazz, the Warriors, who's worried about them meeting up again in the playoffs? What's the level of concern? Jingles at Bojo244 says, I would hate to see Steph in the first round, but with Mitchell and Conley back, I'm 95% confident that we beat them in five or six games. Cool. Tricky Tanner says, Steph beat Utah. Steph will beat Utah, even with Conley and Mitchell. It's a Warriors fan right there. Ooh, big upset, huh? Believing, yeah. The eight taking down the one for the, uh, I guess, the fifth time. Once in the East, three times in the West. That would be a disaster. Yeah, it would. That would be horrific. Nobody wants that. Jingles at Bojo244 says, you know, Steph did beat Utah with Conley and Mitchell. It was right after the All-Star break. We had no rhythm. Bojan was one for seven from three. Golden State shot 52% from three. The odds of that happening four games out of seven is slim, and the Jazz win in every other scenario. All right, I can live with that. Yeah. Jingle says, uh, I'm very confident if we get matched up with anyone out of the Warriors, the Grizzlies, the Spurs, or Portland, we win our five or six fairly easily. Well, there's only five teams I think the Jazz can face right now. <laughs> And he just covered four of them. I don't know. Did any team seem like they were missing their PK? Anybody jump out at you? No. <laughs> yes. Who? Lakers. Oh! Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, Smashville says, LOL, curse shut you guys down last night. The D for three and a half quarters was choking the Jazz. All your shooters looked average. Turnovers everywhere due to this Warriors stellar D. If you think the Jazz will beat the Warriors in five, I'll give you big odds for any amount. Kerr shut them down? Is that what he said? Kerr's game plan, I assume, is what he means. Since Steve Kerr didn't put on a jersey and go out there and play. Was Kerr there? I thought he was at a political rally. hey <laughs> Oh. 
These, Chris says this, Chris is bringing it strong. These drama queens that are concerned clearly haven't watched all season. The Jazz were a missed call from winning the game on the road without the two best players and not playing all that well and without the two players who can run around with Steph a bit. I'm not worried at all. All is all caps. Okay, good for you. I appreciate the confidence. (laughs) Not on board with it, but you appreciate it. Not to that level, no. Right, not to that level. You chest a trailer. Three games left. Blazers, Thunder, Kings. Thunder and Kings should be wins. Blazers probably two. When two or three and the Suns left to be perfect to tie, I still like the Jazz odds. Blazers game will determine if the Kings game is a game or a scrimmage. I could see that scenario. That's not outlandish. If the Suns lose, and it would seem like the Warriors tonight would be more likely than the Blazers Thursday, but if they lose either one of them, and the Jazz win Wednesday and Friday, then it's over before the Suns play their back-to-back Saturday-Sunday and before the Jazz play their finale on Sunday with Sacramento. Yes, correct. Kale's level of worry is zero. Mac and Spider will be back. Mac? Is that what we call him? Apparently. Mike Conley, MC. Give it a random vowel. Mac. Well, I I would prefer the U, so then it would be muck. (laughs) Stuck in the muck. Uh, Jazz fans should be concerned, Ryan says. The Jazz bench shooters have not been good on the road, minus Clarkson's fourth quarter. Curry is good enough to steal a game on the road. Well, that is the recipe right there, isn't it? Uh, the Jazz have been excellent at home, but if they stumble once, they've been a little better than 500 on the road. I think they're 19 of 15 on the road right now. And they ought to get a 20th road win because they really ought to beat Oklahoma City. I mean, maybe something could go wrong in Sacramento, but Oklahoma City? And they did... I guess the 154 in Sacramento, some people think it's a lock because of that, and some people think the law of numbers could bite him. And Sacramento's been playing hard and winning some games. But Oklahoma City? Come on. Well, it's funny that the Jazz role players, they suck out on the road. Curry's really good. But what about the Warriors, Warriors role, role players, players on the run yeah. on the road? Yeah, I think, I think like the Jazz role players on the road, uh, you know, some nights they have it, but a lot of nights they don't. That's, yeah. that's the nature of the road and role players. And for all the rules changes and the changes in style in the game over the last 10 or 20 years, that's been a constant. You can go back to isolation ball, back into the low post, Charles Barkley dribbling 40 times backing up. People are still curious about how the role player is going to play. Even coaches are like, I don't know. <laughs> the first-round series, if it should be these two teams, to me, the rosters favor the talent for the Jazz. Pretty simple explanation there. Straight ahead. Yeah, I think it is. All right, that's going to do it for us today. More on the Jazz and the Warriors coming up with Hands and Scotty G next on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.